Ready, Dave? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. Woo! I'm Dave Fox. Yeah, Dave. To my right Woo! is Jordan Cooper. <laughs> That's me. I'm applauding. Al- always a big fan. Of Dave. Of me. This is a podcast where we explore Dave and Dave's around the world. This is our second podcast about the They Might Be Giants album, Flood. Flood, part two. I was trying to use like another language, but all I could think of was English. Dose? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Good good one. Um, so, hey, um, a, a people seem to really like Flood Part 1. By people, I mean the two people yeah. that I talk to. Uh, but the fans are chattering for more. So we're going to move on now to track three, Is Lucky the, um, Ball and Chain. Lucky Ball and Chain. I lost my lucky ball and chain. Now she's four years gone. She's five feet tall and sick of me. my accordion dance yeah when the accordion comes in dave was jiggling around jiggling like jello so dave how do you follow birdhouse in your soul is the is my question yeah, with a pretty damn good song yeah it's funny That's my answer it's funny because lucky ball and chain is like it's sort of a normal song right yeah. like it's it's sort of as i mean even uh flansburg was quoted as saying it's kind of just kind of like a country rock pastiche or whatever yeah it doesn't have the structural ambition of birdhouse and i'd say most of their songs don't but i think it is smart you know the way to follow birdhouse is just like here's just a damn sad good catchy song well it kind of got the raw end of the deal being sandwiched in between yeah birdhouse and istanbul but i mm. kind of like ball and chain better than istanbul i can't believe that no yeah. i very much believe that i mean i like it better than a lot of stuff i i'd I call it a favorite song for a long time yeah. i remember when i was first getting into them i don't have as vivid memories of like obsessing over birdhouse but i have more vivid memories of like singing lucky ball and chain and like you it's, know it's a catchy tune yeah there's something like accessible about it you, like i'd say you could play the song to a tmbg like non-believer yeah um, maybe more than Birdhouse even, because it's a little more like of a normal rock song. True. So I guess for those who don't know, we could just say what Ball and Chain refers to or the, the origin of the idiom. I want to know if you don't know. I, I think I, I didn't know when the song, when I first heard the song, for mm-hmm. sure, when I was like a kid, <laughs> you know, yeah. I definitely didn't know when I was like 14 or 15. Uh, what lucky ball and chain meant and i put the pieces together myself but you know it's it's an old idiom dating from the early 1800s and refers to a, a prisoner that would have a ball and chain attached to them so it's just it's a metaphor that people use as like a burden calling your wife a lucky ball and chain was yeah. there's a lot of like irony going on there because it's an insult though it's yeah. like you could say it's in a teasing way too you know i always thought that term was so dumb it's like didn't you choose to get married you're going to refer to your wife that way? Then get a divorce. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. I, I could see it being used like a like in a married, oh, this one. married with children, af- <laughs> affectionate kind of insult This way. one brings me down so much because I have so many options with all these women that are knocking down my door. Yeah. Get out of here, fella. In terms of what inspired the song, uh, there there is a strange live clip of Flansburg introducing it from back in, you know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if you have any theory about what he means. Here's another song, song from the Guanas Canals, Southern song. 
It's called I Lost My Lucky Ball and Chain. So the Gowanus Canal is mentioned in a venue song, yeah. the Celebrate Brooklyn venue song, which we were there live to see. Were you there? Nope. I was there. I imagined <laughs> you next to me, though. <laughs> um, I kept turning to like my right and being like, date, and then like a, a tear would fall down. Like, uh, oh. Yeah, so in Celebrate Brooklyn, he sings about the Gowanus Canal and the yeah. joke, we're celebrating Brooklyn, even the Gowanus Canal. Let's Right, because it's kind of supposed to be a shitty canal, it's, it's, right? It's, it's dirty. It's not exactly scenic. Yeah. Um, I think it's sandwiched between like a bunch of factories <laughs> and like like uh, corpse disposals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the idea that like the ne- the story of Lucky Ball and Chain mm-hmm. comes from the Gowanus Canal Southern Psalm, like P-S-A-L-M. He kind of says it in a Southern accent. Do you think that's hyperbole? Do you think What's that mean? <laughs> he's being hyperbolic? Oh, that's what that means. Um, <laughs> I guess what I, I don't think he's being literal, but I think he is. I think, you know, him having that spur of the moment stage banter is kind of shows where his head yeah. was at in the song. And it is soon after the song uh, debuted. Yeah. It's kind of a baffling thing to say, though. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to see how that fits. To me, it seems kind of like, I think it's a jo- a white trashy joke, but mm-hmm. mixing with the Brooklyn hipster thing. Yeah. Kind of like Alienations for the Rich or something. Okay. Just that weird blend of like brooklyn country you think this is about a uh, trashy couple yeah maybe i don't know like the pet name couple <laughs> yeah. i guess this is this is something he writes about a lot in in their career um the other thing going into the song that and we could use this to talk about the first verse or i guess the first verse is the chorus that confuses me well this song is about counting it was originally um all the numbers in it were supposed to go up instead of down but it didn't work out very well. So, um, I don't know. Maybe you'll understand someday. So, um, here we go. This is a lucky ball and chain. So, so this is really interesting to me because it kind of shows Flansburg's writing process and that maybe, um, so wait, Dave, are you kind of getting what he's talking no, about? No, I have no idea. Okay, so if we Explain look Explain it to me like I was a child. So in in the lyrics, the, the song begins, uh, the song begins. Oh, I see now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's kind of subtle. Yeah. I lost my lucky ball and chain. Now she's four, 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 four years gone, just five, five feet tall and sick yeah. of me, like six. <laughs> so it's like four, five, six kind of as a pun and all my rallying. So it... Apparently, Flansburg's what one can imagine is her original draft of the lyrics was more yeah. integrating the counting pun or something. The idea of like a countdown happening. That's ambitious. Yeah, it's interesting, and and it is. It's funny to me that he would kind of expose that on on stage, even though it's not in the song. But I, I do think that's like kind of cool. It's a cool thing to imagine what the original maybe the idea was for the song, because you do see that four or five. Yeah. Um, at least four and five. Yeah. I think the sick of me was originally meant to be like a pun and then it doesn't quite happen because if there was a seven after, then that would be a good. Yeah. I've never uh, noticed that before. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Yeah. Kind of thing. Wait, I, now I rock a bar stool and I drink for two. You think that line was originally somewhere else and he mixed it around? Maybe, That's interesting. Drink maybe for before two. four. <laughs> so wait, so it would have been like, <laughs> here come the one, two, threes, people. Do you think because of this, they did that? I think Here Come the One, Two, Threes was his attempt at correcting Redeeming himself after 15 years of... 
that I do want to say, I don't know if you had the same experience. I used to think he was saying now she's 40 years gone. Yes. <laughs> I end. agree. Yes. Yeah. I wish I had more to say to propel that conversation further. What do you think is sadder? Now she's 40 years gone or four years gone? Hmm. Well, 40 is a longer time. So it seems sadder, but I will say when a breakup first happens, you're way sadder. True. Though I guess it's like a numbing kind of sadness in the as the decades pass and you haven't uh, fixed yourself up. Let's talk more about sadness. Yeah, yeah, please. What's your saddest thought you've ever had <laughs> uh, today? Today? Yeah. Well, when I went to Dunkin' Donuts, they weren't doing that. Uh, don't laugh at me. They weren't doing that uh, peel off uh, sticker price thing anymore, which was the only Jesus. reason I was getting a large. And um, yeah. Because I was like, oh, maybe I'll win a free donut. Dave gave me a free, he gave me the sticker thing of a free uh, hash yeah. browns, and I was very thankful. Dave's a, a nice guy. I am. I'm giving. I have yeah. a giving nature. <laughs> he especially is giving when it's a thing he doesn't want in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, I could have just thrown hero. it out. Yeah, that's true. You could have you crumbled it up and thrown it at my face and said, here's your fucking hash browns, <laughs> mother... Yeah. So the sad part was, <laughs> so I went... So one Dunkin' Donuts. Flood part two. Where this is Dunk Talk. Hey, look, this is related to They Went Giants. They should turn this into a jingle. Yeah, they did a Dunkin' Donuts thing. Yeah, it, a jingle about the letdown of when a sweepstakes is over. Off. Yeah, yeah. Gotta win the prize. Gotta go to Mo's. Yeah, that's yeah. not a... Yeah, yeah. They can't use that. So I went to one Dunkin' Donuts on the way out, and I was like, oh, shit, I guess this Dunkin' Donuts isn't doing it. And I went to another one <laughs> on the way back. Wow. Because um, I was like, oh, I'll get another coffee. Yeah. Way too much coffee. When Starbucks did their s'mores frappe, uh, I, yeah. I went to like eight different Starbucks looking for this thing and did not find it for a really long time and drove me crazy. And by eight different Starbucks, I mean I walked a square block because <laughs> there's a lot of Starbucks everywhere. Oof. Would you say you were as uh, sad as the man uh, in this song? <laughs> Speaking in general about this song, I always thought it kind of reminded me of like, so they might be giants doing like, because, you know, they, they, they're really into the monkeys and they covered What Am I Doing Hanging Around. Mm -hmm. What am I doing hanging around? I should be on the train To me, this is like a very similar song because Monkeys also had like this branch of their songs, which would be the Mike Nesmith led ones. Monkeys branch. You're on fire today, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, which would be the Mike Nesmith ones, which would be like kind of country pop with like very jangly guitars yes. and, and very like very melodic and catchy. And what am I doing hanging around with something they, they covered for years and years and years? To me, it's like, this seems to me like, and I don't want this to sound disparaging, but like Flansburg trying to do that. And I would say achieving, by the way. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't want to be disparaging. But I do think Flansburg more than Linnell is like going for something when he's writing a song. Like we've talked about how yeah, he's really sure. he's really into genre. Like Birdhouse is into genre. And most of Linnell's songs on this album are not yeah. him aiming for a genre. L Linnell's genre is just Linnell. It's just like Linnell's head. Yeah. But Flansburg is like, this is the country rock number on yeah. this album. This song has saved my marriage many times. Really? How so? <laughs> well, I don't want to be the guy in this song. Yes, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's funny because him saying she threw away her baby doll, I held on to my pride. 
Yeah. But I, I feel old and foolish now. Like there, this is like Ben Fault's five song called uh, Fair. And there's a line in that song. He's like, I'm lonely and I'm right. You know, it's exactly, about, and it's yeah. about a couple arguing and one person kills the other. It's like a dark song. But the, I, I thought of that a lot too. It's like, well, would I rather be like, you know, stand by all my yeah. convictions and arguments or do I want to like have uh, someone I'm sometimes <laughs> when my I'm, life with? Sometimes when I'm mid argument, with uh, my wife, I step out of my body for a minute and I mm. think of the line, what's the use in arguing when you're all alone? Yeah, I exactly. think of that line so often. Yeah. And I think there's even like an old marriage cliche where they say like, well, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't don't fact check me. But it's true because if you're, if you're right, then, you know, you'll just make the other person annoyed and sad. But if you just say, you know what? All right, fine. Let's let's move on. I guess I don't even know what the verses and choruses are in this song. It's kind of a mm. weird one in that. It's kind of subtly weird. Yeah. But the confidentially part, right? So, you know, she threw away her baby doll. And then he's, you know, skip ahead later. He says, confidentially, she never called me baby doll. Right. To me, this is like, it feels like that Bugs Bunny thing. Like, eh, confidential. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, if that was just something that was said a lot. Because I feel like we don't hear confidentially much more. Let's bring it back. But like the, the idea of, of a, a narrator, again, this is the unreliable narrator thing. Mm -hmm telling you about his relationship and how sweet it was and then being like confidentially actually yeah we didn't have cute names for each other and this really does tie to pet name in a way because mm. baby doll would be a pet name and in pet name he's like talks about you know pet name is like a symbol for like i guess the affection a couple could have but it's kind of perverted and maybe sarcastic mm. or more like an insult yeah. you know in pet name there's my little fuck face <laughs> boy <laughs> yeah. i love that man of mine um, but then confidentially, I never had much pride is really funny because he's saying like, I held on to my pride, but I didn't have any. All right. We're getting which, the whole picture now. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of like, he's, he's giving you his true self. Yeah. And drink for two is a funny, um, pun. Cause that's like, it's like if a woman is pregnant, yeah. <laughs> right? I never actually, actually haven't thought about that until this moment, Yeah. but it almost brings to mind, like they could have had a child together, but they, instead he's the one drinking for two. Cause it's not just that he's lonely because the the wife left him, but it's like his his potential family is gone. Also, it's a it's a fun song. That, well, that's why it's so good. It's a cautionary tale. Also, my song uh, is partially inspired a Dead on a Friday song, "Going to Hell." Oh yeah. Uh, at least lyrically, yeah. Oh, they might be oh, that's giants. That's awesome. Tell me about it. That's a great song, listeners. Yeah. I'm an unbiased fan. That's a good song. I covered it once. Yeah, you and Daniel covered <laughs> yeah. that song. Yeah, I have a line in there that's uh, if I'm going to hell, at least I'm going somewhere. Yeah, it's sort of that uh, foolishly obstinate uh, point of view where you know you're doing something that is going to negatively harm you, but you you can't let go of the idea of being right. Interesting. Wow, we got to have a podcast about Dave's uh, albums. Yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting for this song, and we're talking about Flansburg's like many songs of lost love. For a while, live they combined this song with "Piece of Dirt," so. Doesn't that give you a yeah, lot to, to think really about? to really blow your brains out. <laughs> so pretty funny to hear that clip. They start playing Piece of Dirt and people in the audience get excited. It faked me out. <laughs> and then they go into Lucky Ball and Chain. But what I, what I love is, you know, it th seems like a very conscious choice to connect to the two songs. Not, I'm not trying to over, 
I feel like people might get the wrong idea about our show, even though it sounds like we are overanalyzing. I feel like I'm not trying to. Does that make sense? But to me, it's more just like a like, you know, they're putting together a set list, putting together the, the drum tracks or whatever they're, they're doing. You're saying you don't want to make it seem like we are giving them more credit than I, yeah, they deserve. I'm not trying to say they have this crazy master plan and blah, blah, blah. I think they do. I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to say they like follow their instincts really well. So yes. connecting those two songs is kind of like a natural thing that could happen. And, and I, I think it does make you think about it because piece of dirt as we if you're new to the show, I want to say <laughs> again, uh, we said this a lot in the last episode, but if you're new to the show because you're a fan of flood, you're a flood fan, mm-hmm. uh, you love the flood. You can't get enough of the flood. Uh, check out our earlier episodes and if and check out the band's uh, other albums, too, because they're they're check genius. out. They might be giants. Maybe uh, you've heard of them. But we talk a lot about piece of dirt in our Lincoln uh, episode. And, you know, it's it's like one of their most, I would assume, sincere, sad-sounding, yeah, yeah. sad songs. It's a, it's a sad theme to put those two together. Yeah, it makes you think theme about the, the narrator of, of those two songs potentially being one person or mm. different, you know, maybe Piece of Dirt is even more in the future. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know, or, or one or the other, really. On a musical sense, I have to say one of the things that, that's really clever to me about the production for this song is when it goes to the confidentially part and the other part later, like all the reverb goes away, mm. you notice? So it, it creates like this really, I mean, at least the vocal reverb seems to go away. because That's his real voice. Exactly. It's it, yeah. That's so interesting. So it's like the 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 aesthetics and like the shimmer kind of mm-hmm. falls away and you hear the real person, right. like his inner mind. All that glitters isn't gold, Jordan. But if you listen, like the first verse, for example, there's like all this um, lush reverb on the vocals, which is actually kind of unusual for a They Might Be Giant song. And then for the confidentially part, it's all like sucked away and it's just kind of, it creates like a wonderful contrast. Like it's something I wish I could do more in songs, but if you do it too many times, it's obvious. Mm. But it's like such a cool production thing is that part... Especially, I remember being younger and loving the song because of how, and I didn't um, process that it was because of the reverb. But I remember, like at the time, just being like, "Oh my God, this part sounds so fun," you know. Yeah. But I was young and foolish then. I feel old and foolish now. Confidentially, she never called me baby doll. Confidentially. There's an XTC album called English Settlement that's the whole album is drenched in this like dark reverb, which like sometimes makes me not want to listen to it, but sometimes it's perfect. You know what I mean? It's like very kind of, I'm either in the mood for this or I'm not at all kind of album. But there's one song where there's a bridge where the reverb goes away. And and I remember me and our, our friend Matt, we used to talk about that being like, oh, they could have made the whole album like that. <laughs> like we, for some reason, we thought the reverb was like inherent in the studio they were at. And yeah, not nothing just, we could do about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just comes with the room. Like, oh, geez, mister. Uh, <laughs> well, we can have our boys in here to fix up that reverb problem, but I think you should just yeah. go ahead with well, the album. Well, it's a holiday weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be here till Tuesday. Yeah, there's this one bridge where it goes away and it's like, oh my God, this sounds like kind of quirky in a fun way you got to use every tool in your toolbox it's the song I'll, I'll just name the song if you're curious look it up it's the song leisure which is one of the songs i dislike from xtc All right. but i really love the bridge because it does that same thing that the the lucky ball and chain bridge does
So one, um, you know, we love going into the references in, in this uh, show. Uh, fill, mm-hmm. Fills up time, you know. Yeah, we'd have no show. The sponsors like it. So um, she walked away from a happy man. I thought I was so cool. Uh, which is kind of a funny line because like a country, do country people say cool in their songs usually? Like that's a cool (laughs) pickup truck. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they do. I don't know much about country music. I think they say that's zowie wowie. Yeah, you're right. She walked away from a happy man. I thought I was so cool. I just stood there whistling. There goes the bride as she walked out. So I just stood there whistling, There Goes the Bride as She Walked Out the Door is a double reference. Double. Al- almost a triple reference, which I'll get into, for They Might Be oh. Giants. And this is this is something quite impressive from Flansburg. All right. And I, I, it is interesting to me that both Flansburg and Linnell do this in their song. Like, it's such a specific lyrical quality, and they both happen to do this. And I wonder, like, did one of them do it and the other one was like, let's keep doing that? You know what I mean? Yeah. What's the double... Almost triple reference. Okay, so uh, there goes the bride is a reference to bridal course. And Dave, you're the opera man. Oh, yeah. So maybe you can tell us a little about this if you know. <laughs> you don't have to. But uh, Richard Wa- Wagner, right? Yeah, How Wagner. Do you pronounce it? See, Dave knows. From the <laughs> my, my dad has a bust of uh, Wagner in his... <laughs> really? It's true. Over your bed. Um, in his, uh, I was going to say in his study, but he doesn't have a study. His study. That's where it belongs. I know. That's. Study. I want it to be in a study. It's in the living room. <sighs> I want to study. Um, if I had a study, you think I would study? Would you no, study? And if you had a study? No, you know you wouldn't. What would you do with your study? You would never go in there. <laughs> you should be like, that's my study. I don't read. He, um, Wagner is his favorite uh, composer. So that's why I know that. Do you think you just like look like go into your study to, you, you know what? Yeah. Well, I do that everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere. Name a room. So <laughs> you know what. So um, the 1850 opera Lohengrin, is that how you pronounce right, it, that, Dave? Let's say so, yeah. I uh, did not know that was Wagner. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, so it's known as Here Comes the Bride. It's also known as Wedding March. Came, I guess, through just the opera being popular mm-hmm. and pop pop culture at the time in the 1850s and all that. Became. Uh, do you the, think a popular opera is called a popera? Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. It became. No, Dave, don't apologize. I feel very remorseful today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It became popular as as the song that the the bride walks down the aisle to. Yeah, Did yeah. that happen at your wedding, Dave? Um, no, we picked our own. It was stained, right? It was, yeah. <laughs> Metallica. <laughs> yeah. No, no. She did um a song from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. The, oh, um, TMBG connection. Yeah, yeah. Ding, totally. ding, ding. I'm a nerd. I think like the creation of love. Uh, and um, I tried to find a bad religion song, uh, like a string re- yeah. uh, arrangement of it that made sense. That was hard to find some music that I like that made, you know, that fit the tone of a, yeah. of a wedding. So the bad religion song that I chose was The Answer. Why, why did just you choose that one? Just because The Answer, you ask a question. 
Will you marry me? Um, and it just sounded the least like uh, aggressive. You didn't pick the one about taking down the Catholic American Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So here comes the bride is the one reference. And then the, the other reference is today. I met the boy I'm going to marry by Darlene Love. Now I'll take this one. Okay, sure. No. <laughs> oh, okay. What do you think of that? So, sounds like it should be in Goodfellas. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> what would be happening? Just someone getting killed. You yeah. Know? <laughs> okay. um, are you excited about the Irishman? Yes. All right. That's, I all, that's all I want to say. <laughs> I tried to be on that as an extra. Oh, wow. It didn't quite happen. Um, I tried to be the, the co-star. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that go? And they were like, you're not Al Pacino. We can't digitally de-age this person. Yeah. He's, <laughs> it's too, he's, he's a too mummy. Old. He's too old. <laughs> So in Today I Met the Boy I'm Going to Marry, you will hear the line, Here Comes the Bride, when he walked through the door. It's a, a, gotcha. a lovely song. And now here's the crazy thing, Dave. Here's the triple reference part, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. Today I Met the Boy I'm Going to Marry was written by Ellie Greenwich, who wrote Maybe I Know. Oh. And now here's another song. That was written by Ellie Greenwich. Which they might be giants covered back in the day, so I think it's fair to say they're That's you know Flansbury. <laughs> Flansbury is, is definitely whether even he was aware of it or not. He, he's a, a, a fan because she's not even credited in in some cases. So I by the way, this song's great. I've listened to this yeah, a like bunch this song. week. Yeah, I, I love her songwriting. Um, she's pretty. There's like this kind of edge to it, you know. Especially maybe I know is like a super sad song. Uh, today, yeah, I met that's the, a bummer. Yeah. So today I met the boy I'm going to marry. I mean, it is kind of again, it's like perverse of Flansburg to reference that because it's it's a very positive song. Yeah. It's just like a happy I'm in love song, which it's hard to find good ones, good songs that are like that because they can come across as you know, cheesy or like we're just trying to make the mm. kids dance to something. Yeah. But this really is a genuinely sweet. Song. I believe her. And I'm hope hopefully maybe I know wasn't written. Uh, <laughs> about the same relationship. So anyway, the, the reference is awesome. The imagery of him just standing there whistling while whistling, there goes the bride, which would be like, there goes the bride, you know. That's what I mean. It's a scary song if yeah. you're in a relationship. It's just like, don't- Well, this guy's like uh. so- He's he's like inflicting so much self harm to the relationship. But we all have the ability to be that guy, dick. you know? No, no, I know. That's what makes the song so poignant. It's, it's so relatable that you you could just say like, oh no, was I this? And I didn't realize it. It just like, it describes that kind of person so well. And that's pretty rare in a song. I've never. Yeah. Really well, even saying she walked away from a happy man, like he yeah. didn't even care. And now he's like lamenting. <laughs> so fellas, hold on to them girls. Yeah. Tonight, a um, little tighter. And gals, hold on to your fellas. I love the next verse. I could shake my tiny fist yeah, and great, swear yeah. I wasn't wrong because. Tiny Fist is like a, such a great, I, honestly, Flansburg, I mean, he might not get enough credit as like a great lyric writer. Because, I think we've given him a lot of credit. <laughs> I didn't mean on our show. Yeah. <laughs> I meant it in the... In the popular... In, yeah, and like, you know, there's culture. like Bob Dylan and John Lennon and it's like Flansburg. Yeah. <laughs> Let him through the door. Gosh darn it. I could shake my tiny fist and swear I was... 
The imagery of shaking your tiny fist is like it's so like pathetic, pathetic. And, yeah. and and funny and sad. Um, what's the sense? You said what's, what's the, the sense in arguing when you're all alone? There is none. And then we really get into the country thing here, which is the sure is you can't steer a train is such a country lyric. You know, I can really see that yeah. in a legit country song. No offense to Plansburg, not saying saying that this isn't a legit With, one, but you, irony, you know what yeah. I mean. Oh, God, this song is so sad. Yeah, geez, <laughs> Dave, I'm picking Dave up off the floor. Right you now. can't change your fate. But it, what's, I think there's an irony there because like he could have, I guess you you can, like he could call her up right now. But I think that's the whole point. It's like, you know, go well, actually, this reminds me of like uh, yawn as your plane goes down in flames. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> it's just he's like whistling, yep. <laughs> he's whistling while his relationship goes down in flames. It's like a Laurel and Hardy. It's like, oh, this is a fine mess we've gotten into. <laughs> I also kind of connect it to whistling in the dark a little, like just not because it's just the word, but the idea that you're just like cheerfully doing this thing during this oblivious like you know, bad thing happening in your life. Wake up, sheeple. I want to talk a little bit more about the music. Um, I, I think he's credited with mandolin, uh, at least on the wiki he is, though I don't see it officially in the liner notes. I don't, sometimes I don't know if the wiki is uh, just assuming something. Love the mandolin. The song sounds really lush and yeah. beautiful and full. It's. I do think it's like a great blend. It's a great use of like the accordion, mm-hmm. great use of like everything really gels like perfectly. Like there's no like... There's accordion. Like, it's just like sounds like, you know what I mean? Um, I have a clip of someone making fun of them for having an accordion in their their music. But um, it's just like, I really do think this is one of their the night, most like sweet sounding productions. We have to talk about the drums. And maybe you can shed light on this for me, Dave. Okay. Drums by Alan Bezozzi. Okay. So I don't know him personally. I believe this person is playing a drum pad. So it's... I never really realized this about this album until researching for the episode. I just assume everything was drum machine, but the idea yeah. that this you're actually hearing a performance from a drummer mm. th- despite the sounds being synthetic. It's kind of like crazy because yeah. I just never thought of that before and he I plays drums on a handful of songs. Oh, wow. I, I should have read those liner notes. He plays drums on like half the album. Wow. So I always just imagine like them hun- hunching over the <laughs> the drum yeah, machine yeah. and it's, but there is like, I guess there is kind of a more of a looseness if you think about it. Why don't you just play a drum kit then? So that's what, that was kind of what was going to be my point. It's a, sort of like with the Frank London trumpet samples in Birdhouse. Mm-hmm. Like why not just play the trumpet? I guess that's just what um, they wanted. Yeah. Why not just have a drum kit? And I will say, we're going to get to this point in a few years yeah. in their timeline. I know but what you're going to say. I feel like we are s- crawling towards the idea of like, why fake drums? You know, like, why mm-hmm. are we not just a real band? Because some of these right. songs, the the synth and the fake factor is not really coming into play in, in, an, in, in a significant way the way it does on mostly their first album right uh, a good amount on their second album and now like and and this to me continues into apollo well, by, 18 right by the time we get to apollo 18 they almost just sound like real drums yeah they, they've got and reverb and they've got a swing to them that's something that i don't think yeah. they even could have achieved uh, a few years earlier like yeah. flansburg has talked about how rapidly drum machine technology kept right. changing that's why every album has its own feel to it the bass too particularly i mean yeah ob- yeah obviously as a bass player i would key into that a little bit more but 
Um, however, they recorded it on Apollo 18. It's like might as well be a real, real guy. I think Flansburg is or gal. Plan, not to jump ahead, but I know Flansburg yeah. plays bass on Apollo 18 on a handful of songs. Oh, yeah. it's actually bass. Cool. It's not hard. <laughs> no, anyone can do it. Yeah. I did it on an album. Any I joker? Made too. Any sideburn clad, stupid asshole <laughs> with a dumb face? Confidentially, I never told you of her charms. Confidentially, we never had a this railroad apartment was the perfect place When she'd sit and hold me in her arms I have a favorite lyric in this song. Cause Tell to, me. To me, it's actually one of my, not just favorite lyrics of the song, but favorite They Might Be Giants lyrics. Because it, it's really... Um, paints a picture and it's very relatable and sad. Um, so when he says, you know, he says, confidentially, I never told you of her charms, which is, it's funny because it's like, he, you know, it's, well, it's like he's was a jerk. <laughs> um, confidentially, we never had a home is sad as hell. Um, but then he says, this, this is my favorite lyric, but this railroad apartment was the perfect place when she'd sit and hold me in her arms. Ooh, that's in like, her arms. That's like out of, character for Flansburg yeah. to be such so sad and sweet it's not even there's nothing really the only thing clever I'd say about that line in a, in a TMBG way is because he says like um, sure as you can't steer a train you can change your fate and then he's doing some weird visual connection with their railroad mm-hmm. apartment and I don't know if they're the, you know the apartment being that way and but should we say what a railroad apartment is it's where all the rooms come one after the other. So you have to like walk through like a bedroom to get to the next bedroom. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, there's no privacy. Yeah, my sister's apartment in Manhattan was like that. It was very uncomfortable. The The bathtub was in the kitchen and the bathroom, you had to walk through the bedroom to get to the bathroom, which was, I guess, the head of the railroad and yeah. car or whatever. So there is some weird visual um, or thematic motif of the railroad thing and maybe like him sitting in his empty you know, railroad apartment is, and he's thinking about how you can't steer yeah. a train. You know, I, I really like that because it's not in your face, but it's, it's like there is like a color of the song. Yeah. So, but just, just the, the lyric, like it was the perfect place. Cause the idea is that it would say, so a railroad apartment is not something you want. It's kind of cramped and inconvenient, but saying that where she was, it was like a home exactly. is really sad and it's, sweet. It's and it, the perfect place if you're with the perfect person. Yeah. So this, this is like that, that to me elevates the song. What do you think of the gunshot in that song? Okay. I have, <laughs> I have a lot to say about the gunshot. So Flansburg has said that this song isn't like a, I'm going to end it all kind of, uh, he said it's more just like a sad sack kind of like, oh, it's just about being bummed out. I kind of don't believe him. And I also think the line this time bomb in my mind is a veiled reference to like countdown to suicide, mm. you know, which is, which is like, by the way, it's my favorite dark metal album. So if you're sitting, you're getting drunk and you're pondering this time bomb in my mind, mm. what, I'm not sure what else that could mean besides like when getting like, better. <laughs> so the, the gunshot to me has always been like, Oh, he kills himself at the end. And yeah. I've always kind of, not delighted in that, but kind of admired the the guts of, of that. And then to me, then you hear this like heavenly choir, like lifting him up into the mm-hmm. heavens or something. Like, doesn't it sound like that? Because then you're just going, oh. Do you think that's how he's still talking after it? 
Yeah, he's like he's the, an angel now. Did you see Buster Scruggs? Like, yeah, you yeah. did. You were with I, me that time. I was next to you. Yeah, yeah. So Dave was next. You got to pay more attention it's when I'm. It's kind of like the guy in that that movie with the he gets the wings and he's floating. Yeah. Spoiler and he's, alert. He's still singing. Yeah. You know, so it's like I kind of see. I've always seen a very similar image for Lucky Ball and Chain with the guy kind of rising into the heavens while this angelic choir like and it is it's not just that it's an angelic choir they're singing these kind of rising notes like oh yeah, yeah. you know it follows the gunshot i also like how we had a couple percussive sounds in earlier um from verse to chorus or whatever yeah. you want to call it, that kind of um, preview, that sound. So it's like you have that little bridge in between verse and chorus, mm-hmm. and then that leads up to like the big, the ultimate percussive sound, yeah. gunshot. <laughs> that is the ultimate, you know, was the last thing you ever hear. Yeeks. Tony. So, yeah, I, I've always thought the gunshot was like a pretty literal, um, oh, he kills himself. But I, I think yeah. a lot of fans don't think that. And I think even Flansburg is now denying that when he says the song's hmm. not about wanting to end it all um but i i don't i don't believe him we'll maybe, have to get him on the show maybe he killed the the girl <laughs> that's really funny i don't know you think the gunshot is like him going to her trailer and <laughs> i don't know that's a that's a dark uh interpretation but that's what their songs are or there maybe for. he's just on a gun range healthily maybe he's shooting a bottle getting his aggression out yeah yeah maybe he shoots that bottle that breaks in your racist friend yes so the, the only other, uh, the music things that I wanted to touch on is I really love the cool uh, electric guitar sound that comes in. It's on the left channel. I'll play the clip, but it's on the left channel at the end of the song. It's like, it's like very Elvisy. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, that was always a highlight to me. Like I almost wish they would, would have that stuff like that more often. It's got a coolness a more to prominent. it. prominent. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of subtle. I didn't notice it for a really long time uh-huh. listening to the song. Ho, ho. And then... <laughs> <laughs> don't mock me <laughs> um and then you know the the other thing that comes in at the end of the song um and i have a little story about this there's this crazy bass sound did you know what i'm yeah, talking yeah. about there goes the she walked So it's almost like a synth saxophone mm-hmm. or something. I remember once I was playing Flood and I had a, there was a club in my high school called like Cartoon Club or Art Club. Mm-hmm. I think it was Art Club. It was pretty pathetic. Um, Sounds like it. <laughs> it was just so unorganized. No, everyone just hung out and didn't do anything. So it was kind of stupid. Okay. Uh, that was what my school was like. There was no structure. Uh which is great for learning. But anyway, um, <laughs> so we were all just hanging out and I put Flood on the computer there and we were listening through yeah. the speakers and there was something faulty with the speakers. So we were only getting like certain, it wasn't even left or right. It was like we were only hearing certain things. It was very strange. But I do remember I had this song on and it, it sounded somewhat normal because it's very lush and open anyway and I wasn't really thinking about it. But then when <laughs> that bass thing comes in, it was like... <laughs> Like it was just the scariest, most like loud, weird, bassy noise ever. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was in the song. <laughs> and then the same thing happened later with Hacha because Hacha has like that, a similar oh, yeah. kind of, you know, sound, which we'll, I guess, get into <laughs> probably not too much, but yeah. So that, that's a memory I have with Lucky Ball and Chain. 
I also think the sampled voices bring to mind like I'll Sink Manhattan, which is another one of Flansburg's like Love Gone Wrong songs. Yeah, he's got a lot of these songs. And they all connect. Like he connects Piece of Dirt to this and then he connects, maybe not on purpose, but I'll Sink Manhattan to this to me connects because it's still got that same like voices crying out sample, which is like a haunting. It's kind of funny yeah. sounding, but also haunting sounding. You know so what I mean? So sad. So an interesting thing happens in this section of the album, which is that Lucky Paul and Shane really long fade out yeah. and Istanbul has a really long fade in. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's a strange moment of silence, <laughs> maybe for the guy who, who shot himself. <laughs> and uh, we are going to now move on to track four. You've been wanting it. <laughs> You've been craving it. You wanted the best. You got the best. You've tried the best, now try the best. Istanbul, Istanbul, parentheses, not Constantinople, close parentheses. Constantinople, now it's Istanbul, now Constantinople, been a long time gone. Constantinople, now it's church daylight on a moonlit night. Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul, now Constantinople, so if you've a what do you do oh. with this song? We are going to figure that out. So I guess I'll let, I'll let Dave go first because he looks like he has something to say. This is a big hit. Yeah, this was uh, kind of life, this was like world changing. Threatening. <laughs> this this was a big this was a big thing. I'm I'm a little I'm actually a little last for words for, uh, momentarily. Well, there's been so much about it. Okay, well we're let's gonna, start at the beginning. Yeah, we are going to start at the beginning. We're going to start in in the 50s. Why did Constantinople turn to Istanbul? I I was actually researching this because why not know all the facts? The reason is because, and Dave, this is going to blow your mind. The Republic of Turkey declared the official name in 1923 and the Turkish Postal Telegraph and Telephone Office began sending back all mail addressed to the city by any other name from 1930. Hmm. Uh, it's because the, there's a lot of names over the centuries for this area, for this region. So uh, Istanbul is a loose translation of the phrase in the city or the city. So hmm, good name. what would happen over the centuries, I guess, is people would be like, Oh, blah, blah, blah is in the city. Like, that's where you want to go. And then it just became the name of the, the place. Hmm. So it'd be like being like, you know, like Manhattan is Manhattan, but most people call it New York City. You know what I, I mean? I call it the city. Yeah. So it'd be like Manhattan changing its name to the city. Like, yeah, let's, mm -hmm. we got to go to the city today. Well, that's because we're from Queens. Even though we're in Queens, go we're in the city. New York City is five boroughs united together. That's right. But no one thinks. But of people it that think way. of Manhattan as the city. Yeah. Because it has the tallest buildings. Yeah. So for people who don't know, and there actually are people who don't know this who are fans of Flood, Istanbul is a cover, is yeah. not written by They Might Be Giants, though I have to say how much they brought to it, it, it might yeah. as well have been. I mean, I, I'd at least give them a co-write credit or something because it's there's a lot of original material in their version. I've never heard the original, Dave, as, as a matter of fact. You are not only going to hear the original, you are going to hear the 1928 song called Constantinople huh. that the original Istanbul, not Constantinople, might be having a dialogue with, according to a lot of musical music fans Whoa. and theor theorists. So, so here we go. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's hear it. C-O-N-S-T-A-N-T-I-N. 
Whiteman and his orchestra in 1928 put out, I guess, what could be called a novelty song called. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I wasn't amused by it. C- <laughs> it's called C O N S T A N T I N O P L E as it's spelled out, but let's just say it's called Constantinople. Yeah. No, make it even longer. That'll to be say. annoying. So, the, a lot of people uh, seem to think, at least from what I looked up mm-hmm. online, that the Four Lads song from 1956, mm-hmm. Istanbul, not Constantinople, is some sort of a response or like a next generation version okay. of that song. So, I thought that. That was pretty interesting. So now let's talk about the four lads. The four lads were a, a I guess they were a singing group. You know, they, it wasn't acapella. They had music under them, mm-hmm. but they were a singing group that, that had a lot of really great songs actually throughout, you know, the fifties and stuff. And they still, maybe I'm not, there's very recent videos of them still performing Istanbul Jeez. on, on YouTube and stuff in front of like a bunch of old uh, people, people in the audience being very, <laughs> they're called people. being very happy. I thought that was kind of... I know of, they're old. They're still called people. I thought that was cute. Um, wow. So let's listen to their version. Uh, let's listen to their recorded yes. version. It was Never a single. Never heard it before. It I'm was, excited. Yeah. Um, it was not on any album. It was just a one single they put out, but it was really, really, really successful. And I think sure. we know why. It is, you know... It's, it's catchy. Like, it's it's catchy. It's, it's infectious. It's infected let's the world. It. Istanbul was Constantinople, now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople, been a long time gone, oh Constantinople, still it's Turkish delight on a moonlit night. Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul, not Constantinople, so if you've a date in Constantinople, she'll be waiting in Istanbul, even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just liked it better that way. Take me back to Constantinople. So that was a, I think that might be a good chunk of the original Istanbul, because I think it's really important to, to, you know, get the origins of the song. What do you think of that, Jordan? You like that song? I think it's a, a delightful, fun novelty song. Now, something I think me and Dave are going to talk about is how, you know, when this being such a popular song for They Might Be Giants, we, we don't really, I don't know if we know what we think of it anymore, right? Right, exactly. Um, it's kind of, I mean, I almost had that problem with Birdhouse, except I'm pretty positive Birdhouse is good. I think it's good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think so. But I did, I do have that weird um, effect with Birdhouse uh, where I'm like, it, it would take, I, th- I think I'd have to not hear it for a few years to really like, yeah. feel like I'm hearing it for real. <laughs> it may be a few years since I've heard Istanbul, honestly. Because you skip it all the time, yeah. right? Yeah, we talked about that. Dave's a dirty skipper. 
But it's interesting hearing the Four Lads version. That kind of yes. does put it in new context. That whole beginning is different. <laughs> Very orchestra. It's, it's trying to sound like a, some sort of yeah. a vaguely Middle Eastern. Sounds uh, like song. Aladdin. Yeah, it sounds like Aladdin. Um, this song should <laughs> have Disney been an Aladdin movie. for yeah. no reason. Xylophone for good measure. Um, I, I think this will be fun though because we're gonna we're diving so deep into Istanbul. I wanted to play a, another four lad song that came out the same exact time in 1956, and just because I think about like Mongolia or something. Yeah, <laughs> Mongolia was is Mongolia. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have much there. Um, no, so this is sort of like what they typically do, I think, which is more just like a pop kind of song, and it's called "I Should Have Told You Long Ago." Should have told you long ago How much you mean to me I should have opened up my heart For you and all the world to see I feel like even at the time there must have been elderly people in the audience <laughs> <laughs> even in the 50s. Um, so that's just like a typical love song. Yeah, they were just a singing group. I mean, look, they, I, I don't think they're like trying, you know, trying to ruffle any feathers. But um, th- I, I do. I, I, they have a lot of catchy songs. And I think Istanbul maybe stands out for them because I think maybe it is a little more novelty than mm-hmm. even their other stuff. Because that's why I, sh- I want to play that clip to show that they just mainly did normal mm. love songs. Uh, maybe there's some that have like some humor to them. I, I didn't dig too deep into their their catalog. Okay, so there's a lot. <laughs> so we're just going to go through this. There is a lot of reasons that they might be giants have this song in their repertoire. Um, first, it, it started as a, a very uh, often played live song in the 80s as one of their earliest, uh, maybe their first cover, one of the earliest covers they've ever played. It's actually... Uh... We were doing a show, uh, our very first tour, we were playing in Norfolk, Virginia, in this place. It was like sort of like a, a Navy base kind of hangout, the place called the King's Head Inn. And in the contract, it said we had to play for two hours. And, you know, we were like this sort of art rock band from the East Village. And, and typically our sets in, in, at the Pyramid Club in the mid-80s were 20 minutes long. So we hadn't really cultivated, you know, and we were, we were just a duo then. So we weren't exactly a jam band. You know, we couldn't stretch it out. So we, we long guitar songs. Yes, yeah. So so we basically learned a bunch of covers to just figure, you know, just to kind of fill out the show. And Istanbul, for people out there who, who aren't familiar with the song, had this chord and this chord, and that's it. It's just like it's a two chord song. So it was really easy to learn, and uh, and it showcased our yodeling skills. <laughs> It is interesting for the, the production of the album, they said that they based it on their memory of the song and that they didn't listen for reference, <laughs> which I think is, is really smart and I think how you should do it. Hmm. Kind of scary too, though. <laughs> In what sense? <laughs> well, then you like listen to it years later and you're like, oh shit, I remember that completely different. Yeah, I mean, it's all, maybe they looked up the lyrics at least because yeah. it's all pretty, it's all there. Uh, I know that both of them separately knew the song. It's a band called The Four Lads did it and... Um, 
they were one of those fifties vocal. Yeah, contests. they were pretty popular actually. Yeah. They had what was their big hit? And they sure dressed. Snappy I can't remember. Too. Yeah, they dressed all in like tuxedos and. Well, sort of like the really way you guys groovy. dress. Yeah, yeah, snappy. So what, posi- what possessed you to record this song? Yeah. Um, it just seemed like the groovy. I saw them do it on TV, but sometime in the eighties, I forget when exactly. But there was a show called The Fifties, and I was sure it was going to be a rock and roll revival kind of thing, and it wasn't at all. It was like all about adult popular oh, music from Patty the 50s. Page right. and exactly. That kind of thing, and they yeah. had all these uh, everybody who was in that category was on the show including the fabulous four lads. Um, the song has two chords then. Need we say anything more? <laughs> <laughs> I know they both grew up hearing the song separately and I know there's mm-hmm. actually some discussion about even if the song Istanbul is like a takeoff of put it on the Ritz. Uh-huh. And, yeah, yeah. And I I have a funny clip of them trying to f- figure that out and even debating with a caller in a radio show. Huh. Constantinople, uh, inspired by the song Anything Goes, because my dad swears that it is. Uh, uh, it probably was ripped off from that song. It's, oh, it's no, got a no, very no. similar melody. Anything yeah. Goes. No, I'm thinking of uh, putting, you're thinking of putting on the writ. This, this song was written by, uh, uh, we recorded in 1990, but it was a hit for the four lads in the early 50s. And we thought when we recorded it that, it's, again, it's a cover, um, we thought that it was probably written in the 30s because it sounds so much like putting on the Ritz. He swears it sounds ex- it, quite a few of the words sound like uh, what the woman is singing in um, uh, Indiana Jones. Uh, in olden days, bop, 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 bop. that first bitch he's got, oh, the yeah. guy she's singing behind yeah. and everything. Yeah, I think it's a it's part of a of, of a general uh, gestalt. There's a kind of song that it it's following in the footsteps. It was written in the '50s, so it really comes after the period when those sorts of songs were. Well, you guys do it by far popular. better. Well, oh, Sarah, well, thank oh, you. No. Yeah, isn't the the melodies a little similar, right? So this caller thinks that it might be a takeoff of Anything Goes. If today any shock they should try to stamp Instead of landing on Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Rock would land on there In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was a look of something shocking But now God knows Anything goes. That song, which I know me and Dave know, because we were we used to do a radio show for WNYC, uh, which is weird to imagine. But it was called anything. Yeah. It was called Everything Goes. But the theme song was Anything Goes, and I think that was some weird oh. error on the part of the producer. I like it. So, um, but so I'll you know I'll play the clips of Anything Goes and put it on the Ritz, and we can all. It's all the big miasma of Istanbul plasma. Yeah. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where Harlem sits? Putting on the red spangled gown upon a bevy of high browns from down the levee, all misfit. Putting on the red. That's where each and every Lulu Bell goes every Thursday evening with her squelbos rubbing elbows. One interesting thing that uh, I haven't seen anywhere really, but I found it in this old article, this interview with them from 1990 in NME. I'm going to read this quote to you, Dave, because I think this is some, uh, it's really one of the only times I've heard them talk about the, the content of the lyrics of the song. I love when you read to me. And what it means and um, why they chose it. So Flansburg says in this NME article, 1990, 
It seems like the point of the song is don't make waves. Don't think about it. A very weird message. It's a very negative song. <laughs> that line, it's nobody's business but the Turks is funny because obviously there are a lot of Greeks who feel it's their business too because they're the ones who had the city taken away from them by the Turks, which, and there's a parenthesis, which happened in 1453. It's like a foreign policy song. So, Jeez. <laughs> so I, I think this is really important to know like what they think is funny about the song. It sort of is another whistling in the dark kind mm -hmm. of song. Like, like, let's just be happy and celebrate the, you know, make fun of like the name of this country change, but without like going, saying it's not our business. Why? Right. Like it's not going into like what really happened. You know, it's like saying like that funny civil war in America, but not like, yeah, yeah. you know, but not like examining like in any serious way. So Jeez, I, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. I, I honestly, I love this quote. And I, I think that's like really brings a whole new, that darkens up the song a lot. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> I actually thought Dave would like the song after I read that, that quote. That was my favorite song. So Dave, let's, let's talk more about the song, you know, what's happening on the album. Then, then we'll go into the popularity of it. Cause I think that's a whole other I'm with you. Dave, what do you think of the song like as a production musical? Is, is there anything that sticks out to you? I mean, I think you could tell that more went into this one. Yeah. I was listening today to the song and there are a lot of very nice elements to it. Like I love the violin in the beginning is yeah. very nice. I actually wanted to talk about that because the, the music video, it has the unfaded version of the violin. Uh -huh. And it's actually interesting to hear. So I'm going to play a clip of the oh. beginning of the song. Well, I'm glad I brought it up. Yeah, because you can hear everything that uh, Mr. Mark Feldman is doing. Isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the cool things about the music video, which me and Dave will discuss probably in the future. I guess I haven't seen it or don't remember it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. We should have kept that in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's there. It's you just have to impressive. turn your... Flood does a lot of weird volume tricks with your yeah. brain. Um, so I, we'll just chat a, very briefly about Mark Feldman. He does amazing violin work in this song and apparently in Birdhouse, but I really wanted to save it for this. There's a violin player on, on the album who does very nice parts, Mark Feldman, and he yeah. plays with Jerry Lewis and Jimmy Swaggart. Yep. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah what does uh, he play with Jimmy Swaggart? Uh, you know, he just did sessions. He's, uh, Jimmy Swaggart actually made records before, you know, kind of religious, he? you know, like, oh, Lord, kind of records. He really? He them up mm -hmm. on those records, yeah. Although Mark Feldman is in um, this band Arcada, which is uh, sort of a jazz improvisational jazz thing he's a total virtuoso really yeah. amazing violinist. here's a clip of mark feldman's band that he had at the time called arcado oh that's like when the killer reveals his plan <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, his music. That's look, tense. <laughs> it's actually kind of brings to mind. I mean, what I think is interesting about They Might Be Giants place in music is I've noticed a pattern that they're, they're friends. And this is coming up later in the flood discussion, too, mm -hmm. with Ardo Lindsay. But they're they're friends with a lot of really unaccessible artsy <laughs> musicians, yeah. but they bring them into their world and suddenly they're doing like 
beautifully melodic and fun music. Mm, yeah. And it, it's funny because They Might Be Giants are, they've got that artsy side to them, but they're, they're you know, they're Beatles fans. They're, they want, right. the, they want the, the catchy pop song. And I thank them for that because, again, like that's what I like about yeah. them and about all the bands I like generally. But, you know, they're kind of a mix of that residence and that weird. I was just going to, yeah, I was going to say the residence. Yeah. yeah, but it's like, thank you, John and John, for <laughs> giving me something to dance to. You know what I'm saying? Dave, so sorry, I didn't mean to, to derail with the violin stuff, but uh, what else about the production of the song? Like trying to maybe hear it for a sort of a first time today. Oh, I mean, I just think it sounds like a single. I mean, it sounds big. You know, it has that reverb. It has the, the grand grandiosity. That's a word mm -hmm. uh, about it. It's not a small song. They really... It's really dense. There's a lot of things in the production that I, that I really love. It's a pop song. Yeah, they turned they turned it into a pop hit. I mean, it, <laughs> which is really strange, yeah. um, because it's even still, it's like I wouldn't play Istanbul for like a normal person. Still, I don't know. I think it, I guess like it's it. a little silly. It almost seems too silly. I don't know. I, I struggle a lot with these these kinds of questions with they might be giants music. But if it was that silly, why would it resonate so much? I mean, people really got attracted to this song. Well, what I love about that Flansburg quote is that to them, like, there's something not silly about the meaning of the song. Yeah, to not them. anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's something kind of, kind of unsettling and, and questioning about it. So it's it's like the celebration of ignorance. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just liked it better that way. So take me back to Constantinople. No, you can't go back to Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople, why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the church. Flansburg mentioned that this song is just basically was an excuse to play with his sampler that he had, right? That mm -hmm. we talked about them using for this album. Uh, one of the things I definitely noticed, he says he blew into a Coke bottle in the song, and you can hear that. Mm. <laughs> It's for the even uh, old. Yeah, you know? that's a good Coke bottle impression. <laughs> so the sound of the Coke bottle like really works well, and it works in a way where you don't really think about what it is. And and you know, I think he like hit a bunch of stuff in his apartment and sampled that. Hmm. You can hear it, and you can hear it in the right ear. The it sounds like what would be like a tambourine or maybe like a fictional Middle Eastern percussion instrument, mm -hmm. but it's all like Brooklyn. It's all his apartment. It's his kitchen, you know. Flansburg said that what sounds like an accordion is actually a melodica that he sampled. I did not know that. Yeah, so the thing in the beginning of the song, it sounds like a, an accordion. It's like the... Yeah, that's a melodica? <laughs> that's a sample of a melodica. And melodica is that weird, it's got a little hose <laughs> that you blow into and a little keyboard. It's, uh, I have two of them, actually. It's like a keytar. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a keyboard instrument, but you, it's kind of uncomfortable to play. <laughs> and I don't have, myself, I don't have good lung capacity, so I've really struggled trying to play it. I, I recorded a few things. I think your lung capacity is just fine. Actually, wait, I can, rec I can play you a little clip of this. Why not? I'm going to celebrate myself. I made this little tiny instrumental with a melodica. Celebrate yourself. <laughs> So I, I made that with my melodica and a glockenspiel mm. and uh, actually made it to be a little sweet. I made that when I met my girlfriend and I was happy and I sent that to her as a little, a little, hey there, 
<laughs> so that, yeah, that's a melodica. And I, I love how it sounds sampled. To me, that's like an awesome, weird synth. It, it does sound kind of like neither neither here nor there. You know? mm -hmm. I really love, I feel like you must like this too. There's a like really heavy guitar that comes in very yeah. briefly. This song has a lot of things like popping in really briefly. And it rocks. It rocks. It's like really like heavy sounding. There's also like a trumpet for like a second. And I want to get into that trumpet player when we get to Racist Friend because mm -hmm. he's like really the showcase of that track. Yeah, but yeah. it's really funny to me that he's also on Istanbul. But like, I actually like when I read that in the liner notes, I was like, there's trumpet on this, this album version of the song. And it's really, really quick. Yeah, it's funny because I was I listened to the song you know a few weeks ago, being like, "Where's the trumpet?" And it's, mm -hmm. it's not till way into the song that's very, very, very brief. Um, honestly, we were trying to figure out there are parts where the accordion sounds like a real accordion, yeah. and there are parts where it sounds like the fake accordion. Yeah. So this really is, I do think it is one of like their most exciting productions. Like I've got nothing against the the production of yeah. the song. I guess me and Dave can talk about just the popularity of it and how sometimes it. I guess sometimes it's a little tiring to yeah. <laughs> deal with this song in, in the real world. No, it's a good song. It's just I've heard it so much because of the popularity. If there's going to be a song you hear so much because of the popularity, I feel like Istanbul is particularly like, oh my God, because it's so repetitive and it's yeah. very silly. It's like a novelty song. Do you think there's any song that you could still like after hearing it a thousand times though and having it be that popular? I guess popular? It's, like, it's like with Birdhouse, I can still like respect and appreciate it. <laughs> respect. But with Istanbul, it's, I'm kind of like, I guess here's a good example, you know, like Umbrella Academy used Istanbul mm -hmm. uh, recently on Netflix, you know, yeah. and I, I, all the fans were freaking out about it. Yes. Well, so what I heard first was Umbrella Academy uses a They Might Be Giants song. Mm -hmm. and I got really excited because it's like, oh my God, someone's a They Might Be Giants fan over there. That's awesome. And then when I looked it up and I saw what they, what they used was Istanbul, I, I was kind of like, well, someone's not really a big They Might Be Giants yeah. fan over there because they're probably a fan of Flood or, or mm. Tiny Tunes, and they're not really a fan of, like... Because if you have hundreds of their songs to yeah, choose from... that's true. It's, like, strange to me to choose that one because it's just... It feels like a signal to the world. Like, I'm going to choose their most popular, annoying and song it's been used everyone's heard. Yeah, everyone's heard a million times. Used on The Simpsons. Yeah. There was, on The Muppet Show in the 90s, they was, there was a cover of Istanbul, and I actually wonder... I wonder if this was referencing the They Might Be Giants version or the Four Lads version, but I'll play it for Dave. Welcome to Muppets Tonight, the show that can be seen everywhere from Istanbul to Constantinople. Well, Clifford, haven't you heard? Istanbul is Constantinople. What do you mean? Istanbul was Constantinople, now it's Istanbul, Constantinople, been a long time gone. Constantinople, why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. <laughs> so I think it might be a reference to the four lads version because they're four rats singing it and they're doing kind of similar dances sure, that the four sure. lads would do on stage. But the tempo is kind of more like the They Might Be Giants version. They really forced that setup, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It comes back again here. There's another clip. In the movies, we plan everything. We do it over and over again until we get it right. I mean, we have stuntmen and special effects. We go to exotic locations like Istanbul and Constantinople. <laughs> 
Constantinople lives in Istanbul. Not Constantinople, so if you've got date in Constantinople, she'll be waiting in Istanbul. <laughs> You know, Clifford, yeah. that annoying and repetitive rat song has given me time to think. I'll do the sketch. Good! You know, it's funny. The, the joke is how annoying the song yeah, is. Yeah. So I think that's pretty telling, huh? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm th just talking now. I'm even thinking now, like, playing this, I don't know, in my room when I was living at home and my mom coming in and being like, I know this song. That's so, that's so funny. Like I don't know if she meant the original. <laughs> that's funny you say that because I know that John and John talked about their, their, parent, their moms listening to this oh, or something. We had a couple of hits on Flood, mm -hmm. Birdhouse in Your Soul, and the old standard Istanbul, not Constantinople. Exactly. You, you decided to do that, or is that the kind of thing that oh, somebody we, else... That, no, 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 our, no. Our parents made us play that one, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't have any choice in the right. matter. It was like, Mom! Uh, no, uh, that, that's your... a song we, that uh, actually, you know, my, uh, my mom and my aunt used to play all the time when I was a kid. I know They Might Be Giants have, have stated many times, you know, like it is their most popular song. One could debate it's their most popular mm. song and it's like they didn't write it. So you do kind of lose. Mm. There's a little bit of like a, a letdown that your most popular song is one you didn't write. Here's a song we didn't write. People seem to like that. I think there's two ways of looking at like popular music. So I, I, this is a good topic to talk about. Like for me, I'm like a songwriter guy, right? Like I'm really into songwriters and I'm, I'm really mainly a fan of, I, I'm just, I guess like I personally have almost no interest in covers and I do understand that a cover, mm -hmm. like it re does reveal something about the person and, and it's, you know, yeah. kind of like shows you the, the things they love and, you know, it's a peek into their heart and their things they like. But for me, I'm just like, I want, to hear the original songs like i'm i'm very i know when whenever i i've been in bands myself like and people wanted to do a cover or we we would talk me and dave used to be in a band we talked about doing cover like it really it's like a very precious thing to me like it mm. was i didn't want to just do a cover that everyone would like i wanted sure. to do a cover that means something very personal to me yeah i'm not a big fan of doing covers in a band either especially yeah. when you have like new songs to learn that are original and you're going to spend all this time learning somebody else's stuff it's like i, I don't see the yeah, point yeah for me songwriting is the thing like that's just like it's like the if thing, someone Jack. like cover it's like if someone copied a painting of someone else I'm like mm. well what's what have you what have you got inside of you you know what i mean and i know that you could debate this like i do think for example like with istanbul like the what they brought to it especially the production is is amazing and it's yeah. it's really unique especially there are stuff in the song that's not in the original like the kind of like do 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 well they might be giants <laughs> which probably, i really like that part yeah they might be giants probably a lot more than other bands do make covers their own a lot of their covers are great so there's that they don't need covers either <laughs> no they have so many songs i yeah. mean it's it's crazy and and for me like i know that like this is just kind of, this might be a tangent but i i know that when i was um I'm sure it will be. <laughs> when, when I was when I was actively playing in a band and you were in it, and or even by myself, um, I would get pretty annoyed when the band, like before or after me, they would pull out a very uh, desperate cover in my eyes. Like let's say, like "Take on Me," right? Mm. Like a song. Every, we know people like this, and the audience would go nuts and applaud. And in my mind, I'm like, well, impress them with your talent. Yeah. You know, impress the audience with your actual songwriting and your actual voice. Don't just like cover a song you know will get applause. It's well, the desperate for applause thing that bothers me. Not that I think that's what they might be giants were doing at all. Cover bands make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, no, they so. do. I know. 
But it makes sense. It's like, well, if you can't afford to see the real thing, just see yeah. a local. And you don't want to be in a big stadium. Like, just see a bunch of local guys, a bunch of local dudes doing it and enjoy the same thing. Yeah, so I guess the idea of their most popular song being a cover, and not just a cover, but a, a fairly wacky, <laughs> like, joke song as a cover, it, is, it, it can be off-putting to, like, the hardened TMBG fan like myself, who's who's very, like, trying to constantly insist how serious they are and how deep and meaningful their songs are and how the, John Linnell and John Flansburg should be considered two of the greatest songwriters, you know, ever. And then it's like, oh, yeah, they did the Istanbul, right? <laughs> and it's kind of like, oh, Jesus Christ. All fine songs, but what are they compared to this next song? They're nothing. This song uh, was not written by us, and that's why it seems to be so popular. Or am I just being falsely modest? No, it's our most popular song. Uh, this song is called Istanbul. Was Constantinople. Yeah, well, it's also tied to Tiny Tunes so much that it yeah knocks it down a peg yeah the tiny tunes thing brought it into huge popularity like probably i would almost say is solely responsible for it for that i i want to say like we all know you know that it was one of the tiny tunes music videos but i'm we're gonna we're gonna go into the tiny tunes thing when we talk about particle man and we'll also talk about istanbul in that context so stay tuned for that at least the other th- aspect of it is like they, they do it live so much. Like mm-hmm. I know me and Dave, when we're at it, they might be giant show and they start Istanbul. I mean, to me, it's like a pee break kind sure, of song, right? Sure. Cause it's like, I, I, you know, I'm so interested in, in almost any other song they could right. perform. I know this sounds super negative. I'm sorry. But you know, the thing is, I will say they do make Istanbul really fun live. I they mean, change they, it they often. Cha- yeah. It's always different. And I wanted to ask about this, um, and this is especially to, to people listening. Yes. They did a flood show at Le Poisson Rouge. It's a venue in New York City, and they did a flood show there. What I had heard on the internet after that show was that They Might Be Giants, as like a challenge, tried to perform Istanbul as close to the album version as possible, mm-hmm. which they've never done. Even right at that time in 1990, they had their own style of doing Istanbul, which was very different from the album. And I've never heard a clip of this, and I've never even oh. talked to anyone who was there, but I know I, I saw someone say this. I think it's rumors. It might not be true. I might be making it up, but I swear, I thought that would actually be super exciting to see, because the album like version... with a violin and with a trumpet. And, and the do-do. Like, they don't do that live. They don't go do-do-do-do-do. Where are the do-do-do's? Where is the do-do's? So I thought that was, like, something hmm. that I, I would love if someone out there knows what I'm talking about. I mean, about. that'd be different. Please email us. Oh, yeah, we should say. Email us at don'tletstartpodcast at gmail.com or uh, tweet at us at don'tletspod, though I like email because it's private. <laughs> so the other weird thing I just wanted to connect. So when I was researching for Birdhouse, I was researching Jason and the Argonauts stuff. So there was this weird passage I found that that said it, it tied it to Constantinople and the, the rocky shore mm. in the Jason the Argonauts story is apparently around Constantinople. Mm. And I'm like, that's kind of an interesting ties the song together. Well, it is the same planet. Opposite to the lighthouse, possibly the lighthouse that he sings about in Birdhouse, are the Cyanian rocks or simple gates through which jason steered the argonauts with no less good fortune than danger yeah i should read this sounds good so this was like in a chapter called constantinople in some random book i found online so isn't that weird i think they're just so well read yeah it just kind of happens there's something interesting about the way they performed the song in like the early 90s maybe 
I don't think this was because they were like resentful exactly of it being so popular. Because look, they put it out as a single. Like they they have themselves to blame. Well, I was just going to ask you, do you think they instantly regretted how popular the song got and had to play it constantly all the time? I I mean, it's a staple of all their live shows forever now. Yeah. And they might be giants. They don't complain like they they put out like the istanbul like another version of it on recently what was that on album raises new and troubling questions so it's like they definitely embrace it i could only imagine myself in the situation as i'd be a little i'd probably mind but at the same time maybe they're just i think they're grateful people i think Mm. they're glad that they are able to do what they want to do and and they're making music that people love like they do particle man every show they do istanbul every just about right um just about i think that's like kind of like a good quality to have that they realize that they they accept that this is people what they want yeah and it is i do feel like a a big arms folded jerk i'm in the audience being just like i don't want to like you know, hear the song right now because I've heard it so many times. But, you know, like I said, they do make it fun. One way they, they did make it fun, like I was trying to say, is like for a while when it was just the two of them, they would do this long spaced out scary version of the song which to me almost seemed like daring the audience (laughs) to be happy that they're playing a stem. They're almost like challenging the audience. Oh, you're happy we're going to play this like hit of ours? Well, what if we make it like six minutes long and make it unlistenable? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I like when uh, they do the intro, the acoustic guitar intro and stuff like that. That's like a and, be- beautiful version yeah. of that because you're yeah. actually marveling at the dexterity of Mr. Dan Miller and or or they've done the trumpet ones with the trumpet yeah. playing. That's always like impressive. But but these early 90s versions where they're just screaming, <laughs> yeah. that's something very different, don't you think? I agree, yeah. That to me is more like Residence Inspired. <laughs> yeah, it's a sight to behold. It almost seems like they're pushing away people from the song or I don't know what I don't know if there's like a deeper meaning behind doing it that way. It's a showstopper.
You know, I, I don't know. Do you think the song is still fun for them to play? No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Flat I'm just being no. honest. Because well, it's, the song is designed to be fun. Like it's yeah. it's like a it's like a joyful, silly song with a lot with especially for a duo for two singers. It's got these different parts that the similar and then they interlock and then they veer off into different places. You know, so I I can imagine if you're feeling it, it's fun. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it almost seems like being like a children's birthday party thing, like singing the same like yeah. annoying song over I mean, and I over think again. The screamy part is Might probably drive you nuts. fun. Flansburg's yes, yeah, screaming, belting out part is is like really some of my yeah. it's great vocals from from him and he continues yeah. to do it So, uh, Dave, any final thoughts on Istanbul, not Constantinople? I can't even believe we this happened <laughs> on our show. How did this happen? You know what I mean? Uh, I'm glad that it uh, gave the Giants so much acclaim. Yeah, it's it is it's a double edged sword, huh? Like it, it's, it helped them a lot, and we should all be grateful to the four lads. Yeah, that's true. Well, actually, they didn't write it. I should say who wrote it. Oh, then fuck the four lads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we be not to not to take it away from the four lads, but it was as I am a songwriter guy. It was written by the lyrics were by Jimmy Kennedy, and the music is by Nat Simon. And the two of them actually wrote a lot of songs. So Jimmy Kennedy is an interesting songwriter, Dave, uh, and kind of is like a precludes the novelty thing. But he wrote Teddy Bear's Picnic. Are you familiar with that song? I am not familiar. Sounds delightful. <laughs> What's funny is I don't know why I know Teddy yeah, you Bear's know that? Picnic. <laughs> I think there's like some comedy thing that I saw that made fun of it. Can I guess what it's going to sound like? <laughs> yeah, sure. Teddy Bear Picnic, Teddy Bear Picnic, gonna go on a Teddy Bear Picnic. Is it that? <laughs> Here's the 1932 version of Teddy okay. Bear's Picnic, and this is by the same writer as Istanbul. Same lyric writer, that is. Down in the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down in the woods today, you better go in disguise. For every bear that ever there was will gather there for certain because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. <laughs> oh, I do know this song. So, so Dave, thoughts? <laughs> uh, well, I was wrong. It sounds way creepier than... It's a terrifying I, I song. Thought. This is like where your eyes don't go territory. Yeah. It also sounds like uh, from Dumbo, um, Pink Elephants on Parade. Yeah, it is like Pink Elephants on Parade. Which is Parade. another terrifying song. Yeah, and it's funny because you also see the connection. I mean, he didn't write the music, but it does have the kind of minor bouncing chords like Istanbul Jesus. does too. So so the lyric writer is is that guy, and, and this is one of his songs. I think just everything back then had to be terrifying. That was just life back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that, and by the way, again, this is a children's song. Oh, to be a child back then. And the music for Istanbul was written by Nat Simon, N-A-T. And did he write terrifying songs so too? So let's look. So there's a song called the Mama's, the Mama Doll Song. Which okay, the like, answer is yes. It sounds like it's scary. Let's look it up. The Mama Doll is coming for you. So Mama, <laughs> Mama Doll is from 1954. And let's, let's just like do some live, uh, let's do some live research. The Mama Dolls have the picnic. Patty Page, the Mama Doll Song. I once had a doll that was all dressed in white 
I called her my baby and I'd hold her tight Her eyes were so blue and her cheeks were so red But I loved her most of all each time she said I'm waiting for the twist Mama, I think Mama, that's it Mama, Mama, one little word Jordan, I don't like this I don't think she says mama enough. To me. No. Dave, alternate universe. This is the song they might be giants. Oh my did God. as a duo throughout the 80s and became their huge hit song. That'd be imagine them having to do that 8 billion times at their shows. I'm really upset wow. now. That wow, what a song. What a lady. So those two creeps wrote Istanbul together. I'm still really upset from that song. Mama. <laughs> so going from there to track number Five. Dead. I returned a bag of groceries accidentally taken off the shelf before the expiration date. I came back as a bag of groceries accidentally taken off the shelf before the day stamped on my sound. Okay. Dead. Wow. We're back, everyone. Hey, it's Man Cow. (laughs) Um, We are here to talk about Dead. And man, if there's ever a perfect title of a They Might Be Giant song. Yeah, I'm surprised it took them three albums to do it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's funny because Istanbul and Dead could not be more different in my mind on on every level uh, because Dead to me is the kind of like sophisticated, sad, interesting, confusing Mm kind of They Might Be Giant song that I want people who love Istanbul to to know, to be aware of. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And it's a completely stripped down production. Yeah, it's actually kind of unusual for them to do that. Um, I would assume that Flansburg is not doing anything on yeah. this song. Not even, He could have. He could have done the harmonies, but it's all Linnell. Right. Uh, as far as we can tell, maybe, maybe he's buried in there somewhere. But I'm pretty sure that I feel like the tone and the feel of the song is meant to sound like a one person kind of thing. You yes, know, do you, do you ever agree. think about that? Like All the time. <laughs> yeah, every day. Well, I was just thinking because I'm working on an album now kind of slowly and I think uh, my girlfriend was like, oh, I, th- I have a good harmony idea for this one song. And I said to her like, oh, I always saw this song as like really lonely song. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that doesn't mean that it can't have a harmony. Like it's a band. And I was like, I don't know for some, sometimes thematically, like a song should sound a certain way that matches the tone of the lyrics. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't know if that's crazy though. Uh, yeah, I think it's case by case basis. Yeah, yeah, because there are obviously there are songs about loneliness that you could have a harmony in, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Sometimes for some reason, it, like so for me, like for Dead, Linnell harmonizing with himself while he's playing piano and there's really nothing else. I feel like that's important to the feel of it. And if Flansburg's voice was there, it would feel. And maybe by the way, this could be hindsight, you know, being used to the song. So well, there's another voice there. It's just inherently not as lonely. You just imagine another another. Yeah, yeah. Because if it's like if we're hearing a corpse singing a song or whatever yeah. we're hearing in this song, I feel like there should be, you know, you're alone in that coffin. Is it a corpse? At the end of the day, I guess let's get into this. Uh, is it a corpse game show? I'd watch that. Yeah. It's is it <laughs> a 
course. So, Dead, let's let's go into this because there's really not much to talk about with the music. I guess all I will say is you've got this like vinyl sound effect of like scratching, mm-hmm. popping vinyl kind of under everything. I think it's interesting because on the last episode you were talking about how his voice is a little bit more straightforward, not as emotional. But on this one, it seems yeah. like he's belting it out uh, as much as on the first albums honestly like i don't even know if i was just meant meant in like an eq set mm-hmm. like there's it's like there's less bass in in their voices on this album mm-hmm. compared because because here's the thing i actually think i have a reason why this might be so their first two albums were made in like this cheap studio on eight tracks and i feel like every track had to be more full sounding because there's not as much happening in the, mm-hmm. the production though as we talked about that they sa- certainly sound complete and full but so you'd put a little bit so here's an example like this show there's a good amount of bass in our voice on the EQ, right? For this show, because you're it's, damn right. Because because <laughs> it's all you're hearing. Mm-hmm. But if I'm mixing a song, I cut out all the bass in my voice because there's already a kick drum and a bass player, mm-hmm. which often is you or a bass sound, right? So I feel like for their first album, they left in more bass in their EQ. I know this is getting very nerdy and technical, mm-hmm. but on Flood, to me, their voices sound like thinner and flatter, mm-hmm. and that might be because there's so much stuff going on. I think you make sense. For, but even, it's funny, <laughs> for Dead, I feel like Dead is supposed to sound like an old vinyl, so there's not a lot of bass. Well, I think it's supposed to sound different from the rest of the songs. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Dead that definitely doesn't have, like, a oomph to it, yeah. uh, you know. But, yeah, he is very, his voice is great on this song. He's, the singing is very, it is emotive. I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I won. I can ask you, what where, where do you place the song in terms of your 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 likes, <laughs> your dislikes. Well, lyrically, I, I like the song a lot. I guess, I mean, I was saying off mic, it's not like a standout to me. Yeah, that's um, interesting. But I think maybe I'm just more of a fan of just many instruments. Maybe I'm just a fan of full band productions because uh, we had kind of a similar, or I had a similar reaction to the day where I like it. I don't think it affects me the same way that affects you, but maybe because it's so stripped down, I need more. Yeah, that's I, interesting. I need more to latch onto. I actually really like when they play it with a full band of, as they've done ah. some of the live performances where they have drums and bass going. Yeah, it's funny because when they do that live, I, I actually have thought about like, are the drums and bass, are they, what are they... I should like study one of the clips of that because it's like, what are they doing that is essential to the song? Like to me, mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of tricky like turning that song into a live song. And I can see how that would be invasive also yeah like for a fan of the original do you need like a thing going like boop boop like does that make the song better like i don't even know it's a good question i do kind of gives it a swaying quality like in the audience i kind of everyone's kind of like rocking back and forth a little yeah yeah yeah. But yeah, in terms of like it being stripped down the album, I guess to me, I'm so songwriter focused that like, I don't even care if, (laughs) if there's other stuff Mm -hmm. going on. I I know maybe that's crazy, but like, no, that's a fair point because you can also overdo songs that way too. Yeah, that's true. And of course there's like a beautiful stripped down nature to this one, but it's not, it doesn't hit me in the same way, I guess, as other songs in the album. And I guess it's, it's thematically interesting why it's stripped down because it's like, it's not like they tried and failed to put an arrangement there. I think like Linnell must have insisted, I I would assume, or maybe, maybe Linnell wanted more in Flansburg was like no it's good it's good kid just leave it yeah I, well I mean just having a guy at a piano is a really like 
vivid mm-hmm. uh, kind of image. Like you think of a nightclub or you think of a concert hall. Right. You know, it's it is kind of. I mean, we are. It's funny. This keeps coming up, but like this operatic quality. Like there's not a lot of they might be giant songs that have like Linnell really playing piano. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there's fun keyboard parts. There's synth parts. World's Address has some elaborate piano, but even that, it's kind of part of a genre thing. To just hear Linnell playing in that it, with two hands you know like bass notes and all mm-hmm. the different things um one it's great it's great to hear how great a piano player he is and it is kind of a classy you know sounding but two it, it's unusual for them because they generally do rock songs and and i also uh, i think we should definitely maybe before going to the lyrics i'm a little worried about going to the lyrics the harmonies on this song are wonderful yes and uh they're very subtle and they're very um they're very like close together, especially during like the verses. All right, Dave, do you want to do this? <laughs> I, I Come can't. On. Come on, let's do this. I don't. I don't know. Do it. You, you do the main one, okay? So this is the harmony. I returned a bag of groceries accidentally taken off the shelf before the expiration date. I fucked up. So yeah, the harmony for this this song is something I remember being like 16, 17. Like, I, I think I would like sing this to people <laughs> um, for whatever reason. You don't need a reason. You know, like the mailman. and. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like the harmony was something like that really um, burned into my brain early hmm. on. And when I hear the song, it's hard for me to not just hear you the harmony. You just hear the harmony, not the main yeah, vocal. Yeah, like... I returned a bag of groceries. Like, it's almost easier for me to do that Ooh. than the main <laughs> melody. It was hard for me to do any of it. Yeah. Things to do are hard. Yeah. I, doing stuff sucks. But uh, so, but the thing about like the mix, like the, the two vocals are so close that you almost yeah, don't yeah. know. It almost sounds like a doubled vocal. No, that is very impressive. Yeah. Well, the way they do that. Oh, I was going to say thank you, but you're talking about them. <laughs> Yeah, they might be giants, not yeah, you. Yeah. Another thing about this being an early favorite song of mine, it's one of the first songs I ever learned when I learned to play keyboard, you know, in, ah, in my room. That um, seems like a good first song to learn. Yeah, because it is kind of, it's got a great simplicity because a lot of it is one, four, five, as they say. It's like, you know, E, A, B. But then you, if you're trying to learn how to play the bass notes on the piano, there's for the second part of the verse or so the second part of the chorus, the bass does a kind of jazzy descending thing like down, 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 down. So it's like, it was one of the first times where I was like, I'm playing a chord with my right hand, but my left hand's doing something different on the bass. Yeah, that's hard. Creating like a mood, right? It's hard for me. Yeah. It's in fact, on the wiki, the chords, I'm the one who updated the bridge. Oh shit, folks. Yeah. The bridge was like, it was either not done correctly or it wasn't there at all, but I added the bridge, including the piano notes that happened during the bridge. Um, I think you deserve a lot of kudos Check for that. that out. So Dave, the, the lyrics. Well, I was asking if it was a corpse, if it was indeed a corpse. Yeah. Or if that um, was just a cover-up. Or is it, I mean, I think the idea is it's like thinking of yourself as a, a living corpse. Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't? Well, it's more of that Linnellian circular logic yeah so he's either it's kind of like the weep day thing it's like both things he's either he's dead or he's alive but i think the idea is that no matter which both are currently bad right or sad i think both leave something to be desired yeah that's the tone i was getting i returned (laughs) as a bag of groceries 
So we got a little bit of uh, past lives here. Well, so here's something I've never understood, and maybe you can explain this to me. Why would you yeah. return groceries? Why is it an accident <laughs> that you took them off the shelf before the expiration date? Isn't that what you want? Is that part of the weird logic game here? It's like this person is confused in the song. Maybe they wanted to do it at the exact time. <laughs> like they have like one second to eat it before it goes bad, you know? Sure. Maybe it's like a sliding doors kind of thing where you're like, you got it. Timing's everything, Jordan. Uh, that's me saying I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's funny because the the Im the idea of an expiration date is like a very loaded thing when you put yeah. it in a They Might Be Giants song. Sure. I think in a way, we all have expiration <laughs> dates. Dave, you figured out the song. Yeah. Because it's almost like it's like a metaphor for dying too soon, like before your expiration date. Mm -hmm. So if you like took... If you took groceries from the shine, it seems so silly I think it's, it's presupposing that the ideal time to take groceries is right as they expire. Yeah, that's what I don't understand, you know. Well, and every time a season. Though what I do like about the song, and, and we've kind of like mentioned this, is like the tone is clear. Like there's, I feel like there's, sure. there's no mistaking what you're supposed to be feeling, which is this kind of like exhaustion with life yeah. and, and a kind of a numbness of at like your, what you've done with your life so far. Don't gotta tell Dave. me. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. I'm looking, I'm looking at Dave. Everyone knows it. So, not that we figured out the first verse, but let's. <laughs> I yeah, I don't think we made any progress. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's just keep going, and maybe something will, will happen. Did a large procession wave their torches as my head fell in the basket, and lose everybody dancing on the casket. Now it's sure I'm dead, and I haven't. I love this uh the second verse here. Yeah, yeah. Did a large procession wave their torches as my head fell in the basket. So Jordan, call me a fucking idiot, but I never inspected these so closely to realize they were sure. talking about a guillotine. Oh, At least yeah. that's what I assume. I never thought about it either. As my head fell wow, in the basket. I feel like we're both we're both dummies. Oh, okay. So all right, I take it back. Did you know this was about a guillotine? <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely didn't even think of it as as invoking that uh, imagery. I just, I kind of, I mean, to me, this is like a, a very like Ing, Ingmar Bergman-y mm -hmm. uh, visual of yeah. like the procession. Like I think of like the seventh seal and I feel Good like I, I imagine like these people kind of walking in the desert, like with yeah. this dead body, you know, I mean, it's weird. It, this this song has this very like cinematic quality to me. Well, also that the, the narrator presumably did something wrong because everybody has their torches waving around like kill him kill him see i never they... thought of it as a frankenstein thing i thought it of yeah. it as like a morning that's funny yeah. let's just wave their torches that's funny i, I never thought i of don't it know how like... many people wave their torches in morning but okay i guess i didn't think of it as angry waving i yeah. thought of it as like goodbye waving <laughs> well when paired with my head fell in the basket i mean I guess either of us could be right or yeah. wrong or both. You don't, you don't, uh, you Was don't it, oh, I guess if everyone's dancing on the casket, well, we could talk about that line. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause in some, in some cultures, like it's celebrate, they celebrate at a funeral, like, you know, death. Yeah, an Irish like, wake. Yeah. Like the, the idea of dancing on the casket could be like, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead, or, or it could mm. be ding dong the witch is dead we're sad let's dance about it you know what i mean like it yeah. could be celebratory in, in a positive way i know when dave's at dave's funeral i'm gonna oh, get up God. i'm gonna get up on there and do a, do a little moonwalk do a little dance do, what, what dance would <laughs> you, you like, like a little done dance. on your coffin dave i don't want anybody dancing on my coffin 
I want everybody to be incredibly upset. You're going to scuff it up. Did you want to bring up that discussion we had about death? Uh, yes. <laughs> not too long ago. Please remind me because I don't know what you're talking about. We were Well, I was saying like, uh, well, first of all, I was saying how ghoulish an industry, uh, the death industry is. Oh, Do you remember fu- that? the funeral industry. Yeah. Sure. About it's like, uh, you know, you're at, you're at your lowest. This, I mean, I guess depending who dies, but let's assume it's someone you cared about. Okay. And you're at your lowest and it's like, you got to pay all this money for a casket and the services. And you're just, you know, you're there weeping with your loved ones. And some guy's like, oh, you got to pay for this. So then I was saying like, well, what if you don't have money for a funeral? Like, what do they do? Like, they can't force you to, (laughs) we were kind of trying to figure out like, if if someone goes, you have to do this. And I say, I can't or I won't (laughs) pay for that. Yeah, no, what I don't know. What do they do? Uh, That's why I told my wife, just throw me in the garbage. So the, the dancing on the casket is a, it's like, I feel like it's meant to be kind of a funny image. Funny, sure, but <laughs> I mean, all the stuff leading up to it suggests a bad person. That's funny. So you're you're seeing sort of like a reprehensible type a narrator, Perhaps. which Linnell did right, you know. Perhaps Jordan. I've, it's funny. I've always just saw this as like a very normal person, and and maybe we'll get to that because of the, yeah. the younger brother stuff. Like I, to me, this is very like relatable, you know. I did see it as normal, but that verse made me see it as something else. There's like this epic quality to his life right. that he would be. There'd be a procession and torches and dancing and yeah, like the you know the fucking the stranger or something. You ever read that book? No, where it's just like everybody's like, you know, this guy's put to death and the sky rips open with like lightning and thunder and it, it gives it this very cinematic quality. Uh, yeah, that is interesting. Quality. It's a sad, depressing book. Well, the, I think the main hook of the song, um, now it's over, I'm dead and I haven't done anything that I want. Yeah. Or I'm still alive and there's nothing I want to do is, I, you know, it's like the, the reason I love Linnell as a lyricist and I even feel like this this might be something unique to him and not and not Flansburg. Um, Linnell has a way of like you could write a book about like one line mm-hmm. in one of his songs, you know, and, and that's one of those examples of like those two lines are there's so much yeah. <laughs> to think about. I mean, people might maybe people new to our show might wonder why an episode will be like two and a half hours long <laughs> when it's just like you know, because we think about stuff. I just there's so much there. So now it's over. I'm dead, and I haven't done anything that I want. That's what I assume will happen. Well, look, we're right now we're doing something we want. Yeah. So we we <laughs> crossed true? that off the list. We're good. Yay! <laughs> At our funeral, we could be like, he had a podcast. Oh, uh, this is depressing me. <laughs> <laughs> um, or I'm still alive, and there's still nothing- alive, but actually fulfilled in a weird way. Why? That's what well, I was saying. There's nothing I want to do. Like I'm, oh, I have are, it all. You are taking this very differently than me. So the way that I'm seeing still alive and nothing I want to do is it's like a living death. I mean, it's, it's honestly like there's nothing, if you have no purpose and there's nothing. Oh, I see what you're saying. There's yeah. no, there, no one. You have no desire to do anything. Yeah. You're, yeah. you might as well just be well, a, just a zombie, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess zombies have desires. Brains. <laughs> exactly. Checkmate. <laughs> yeah. So to me, the, the the point of those two lines being next to each other is that they're the same thing. They complement each other. Yeah. It's like you, there's both are bad. Both are as bad. So if you're dead and you haven't done anything that you want, that does imply you did want to do stuff and you didn't get to it. Mm-hmm. But is that worse? It's sort of like <laughs> I, I listened to this interview with Norm Macdonald recently for his uh, about his autobiography, which is like a fake autobiography. Mm-hmm. It's all fake stories and it's actually really funny. I recommend. Let's see how this ties in, guys. He talked in this interview about memory and, and about well, what's, if you could choose to go to like have a fun vacation on a tropical island for, for a week, but then you'll never remember it again, mm-hmm. would you still do it? No. 
Well, that's like a deep question that... But it might as well have not have happened. Yeah, so this is why I'm tying it to the song. Like, what's worse? Is it to not be able to do anything you want or is it to not even want to do anything? What's worse, Dave? Answer the question. You Say have it again. Three, two... Because I was thinking of something else as you were. What's worse, Dave? Not being able to do the things you want to do. Right. Like, let's say I want to go to Disney World and I never get you to. Right, you don't have the capacity Or to. being like, I don't want to go to Disney World. Why would I want to? Why would I want to do anything? What's, um, what's worse? The first? No, the second? <laughs> the second. Yeah. Though it's like better to have love and lost, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah, there you go. No, I, at least at least you will have known the joy of ambition. Yeah, well, exactly. I guess. I, I, what do you think? It's funny because I feel like me and Dave do talk about this stuff, you know, in, our, in our friendship a lot because we talk about like, you know, we, we were just talking about like, there's all these like aspirations we have for our lives and our careers. Had, and, Jordan. Had. And the podcast. And it's like, well, at least we want to do something like, okay, it took me eight years to make my first album, but at least I was striving towards doing it. At least I, it took forever, but I still, it'd be better than me being like, I don't need an album. You know what I mean? But it also depends on the kind of person you are. Some people don't need to do nothing, man. They just watch TV. I mean, you don't have to have an aspiration. You could be content to be, you know. I feel obviously in their case, it would be worse because they're creative driven, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I, th I think we, we approach things people. as people who want to constantly make content, uh, even if no one ever sees. I mean, I have like sketchbooks no one's ever seen, you know. I was going to say with your question about the mm. the vacation, I mean, I th my biggest fear is like if that's like what life is, <laughs> where you're just like. No, I know. When you die, you don't remember it. So it never happened because that's exactly. it. It's oblivion. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's the what I'm tying that to. Stop the, yelling at me! I'm tying that to the song because yeah. it, it feels appropriate. You know, like what? What's what's, what's what people? What's what? <laughs> what me worry? Um, <laughs> let's move on to uh, the next verse, Dave. <laughs> We're all riled up. I will never say the word procrastinate again. I'll never see myself in the mirror with my eyes closed. I didn't apologize for when I was eight and I made my younger brother have to be my personal slave. So, honesty time. Okay. I want to know if you ever, after reading this, tried to look at yourself in the mirror with the eyes closed. I think I, I did, did when I was like 15. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did this recently. Can. Well, I guess I not peak totally a teeny both. bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little peak. <laughs> Got a little peak. Um,. No, I mean, you can take a photo of yourself with your eyes closed, but I, that's not really the point. I mean, I think... I think it is. <laughs> there, there's, I mean, this song is really like going all over with, with like things that make sense. And then the next line, you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Well, what do you think the point is? The, the futility? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not trying no, to No, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think it's the futility of life? Is that what we're getting to here? By the way, we don't I interpret don't, on this show. Well, I guess we can just go line by line because it's it's pretty dense. But I, I will never say the word procrastinate again is is a silly thing to be um, remorseful about. I may I don't know, not necessarily. I mean, to you know, procrastinating is pretty bad. But he's not talking about procrastinating. He's talking about saying it. Yeah, but obviously he's referencing it because I, he procrastinates. I a lot, see. Don't I, you I think? wouldn't even say that. No. But why that word? Exactly. You could use any word. <laughs> I think the joke is that saying the word procrastinate is procrastinating and avoiding See, things you have to do. I, I think the joke is that saying you'll never say procrastinate again <laughs> is like, yeah, you are. It's like you could say it if you want, but you're like procrastinating. Hmm. This is so complicated. Um, I'll also, never... I feel like we're arguing and I'm not sure if we are. <laughs> I'm angry right now. <laughs> Um, I'll never see myself in the mirror most, with my eyes closed. Most like, delightful arguing. 
Yeah, see, that's again, it's like, why would you be lamenting that you will never say the word procrastinate? Why would you be lamenting that you can't see yourself in the mirror with your eyes closed? Because life is meaningless? Well, because I think the narrator of the song is just kind of, he's kind of like harping on all these like unsolvable things. Yeah. And I think that could be a metaphor for us being worried about death, which is unsolvable, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I solved it. I think I just figured the song out. (laughs) I think we could end the episode. Okay. He's he's making a connection between how we um think about death mm-hmm. and how it's inevitable and like what's the point in maybe for you in you know worrying about it. Mm-hmm. So he's giving these examples at least about of... it as a concept. I get that there's realist logistics you could worry about like your your family and you know how you're gonna pay for it. Yeah, the funeral. Um, but I think the point the the more like underlayer point is maybe he's like saying like aren't these concerns silly? Mm-hmm. And then. Now step back a few feet. Isn't concern about death silly? Hmm. Maybe. I'll I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take a maybe. So let's let's talk about. I didn't apologize. So he's he's now sorry that he didn't apologize for when he was eight <laughs> and he made his younger brother have to be his personal slave. Me and Dave both are younger brothers to right. older sisters. Yeah. Well, I think when you're the firstborn, you're just you know. Anything that comes after you expect them. You're to. like the center of the world. Yeah. Well, so one thing that's interesting is John Linnell said in this Rolling Stone interview mm-hmm. that we uh, referenced a few times. He says, "There's no real little brother. We would never yeah. confess something like that in a song." I mean, I don't think that's true. I think they we're going to see coming up. There's some confessions about brotherly uh, stuff yeah. happening in in some of their songs. Particle man. Yeah, um, maybe in a way. I mean, I do. <laughs> well, it is funny to tie it to Particle Man because, like, Linnell is obsessed with like kind of hierarchy. Bu- yeah, yeah, like bullies and people forcing each other yeah. to do things. Like, kiss me, son of God. I think any older sibling can make the younger one do anything they want. Yeah, I yeah. think that's their God-given right. It's funny because it kind of ties to like you're not the boss of me now kind of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lyrical yeah, content. It, it's a weird thematic thing throughout all their songs in that's terms the of the underdog. Yeah, in terms of the context for dead, you're you're getting the point of view of the older one for once that you know, you're from the other stuff. Feeling remorse, no less. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's like a fantasy, like <laughs> you know, oh, I hope the people who bullied me feel bad when they die. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's like what it's all about. Well that's funny. It is also like a kind of deathbed confession thing. There's a deathbed feel to the whole song, yeah. I mean it's it not it's not spelled out, but it really feels it feels like it, you know. It's, yeah, it's all your life's regrets. And that's, to think back on something you did when you were eight, you know, like. Yeah, like you're pretty much innocent because you're a child. Yeah. You know. Or are they? I th- I mean, well, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a fair question. I, I think there's definitely some. I mean, weak- there's like Damien, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's not innocent. Yeah. He's bad. Um, but but well, then it brings in free will into like, what is it, Damien's fault? He was born that's the true. Antichrist. He didn't choose it. That's true. All right. Well, tune uh, email us at <laughs> don'tlistartpodcast.gmail.com. Do you blame the Antichrist for his d- wicked deeds? Do you blame the Antichrist? So I won't sit at home anymore. And you won't see my hat in the window. And I won't be around ever anymore. And I'll be up there on the wall. The star I returned the bag of groceries at
I wanted to bring it back to the music a little because one thing Linnell did say is that the harmonies were, or the he said the vocal interplay was taken from a Proclaimers song. Okay. Uh, Dave just furrowed his brow. I and do that Dave, a lot. Dave does, has a beautiful furrow, I gotta oh, say. Oh, thank you. This guy. Um, so because of Linnell saying that, I spent like three days listening to Proclaimers albums from the 80s, um, which was fun to do. Um, you know, so they're, the they're good, Proclaimers right? you might know, know as... Uh, 500 and miles. And I would yeah. walk 500 I don't think I like that miles song. and I would yeah. walk 500 <laughs> and stop. Do you like them? Do you like that song? Um, I do like that song a lot. Mm-hmm. I am, what am I, made of stone? It's well, a catchy I, fucking song, Dave. That's why I said I think I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, you're not prepared to surrender mm. to the proclaimers. I get it. Um, so I listened to their albums that came out before Flood around when Linnell w- would have been writing Dead. It's actually was really hard to figure out um, what song he's referencing. I've got two choices here, and I'll play them for Dave and get his opinion, because Dave's opinion is all that I think about. Right? It's kind of like the bridge. So that was Letter from America by the Reclaimers. The only thing I can think of is it's a little bit like the bridge mm-hmm. in Dead, the rhythm of the vocal, the da-na-na, yeah. da-na-na, and the guy in the background going, <laughs> or whatever the fuck. So I, I think it could be that. There's another Proclaimer song called Over and Done With, and the only reason I thought this might be a candidate is because, like, in Dead, he goes, now it's over, I'm mm-hmm. dead, and then this song kind of, you'll hear. It's over and done with, it's over and done with. So this also to me sounds kind of like the bridge and also mm-hmm. the use of the word it's over and I don't know. Does anyone have any idea? Uh, Linnell didn't say which songs, but I, I do think it's kind of a crazy uh, inspiration for Dead. I never would have guessed that. They sound way more Scottish on those songs than on that single. Than on uh, 500 Miles. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's funny. <laughs> they're, they're extremely Scottish. Yeah. Well, Dave, the first line on the first song on their first album yeah. is, I've been so sad since you said my accent was bad. <laughs> So I guess they're aware. And the song is called Throw the R Away, and so making fun of their huh. accent. So I, they're self-aware about it. So I don't know. I, I do think it's interesting that the Proclaimers was a... I think John Linnell was a fan because there might be more Proclaimers references coming up, Dave, on this album. Whoa. But that brings us to the the bridge for Dead. And this is this is like a really interesting bridge. And uh, let, let's uh, talk about that. Okay. Uh, let's talk about it. So I won't sit at home anymore... And you won't. The, by the way, this is such a Linnell. Linnell has so many songs about like guys who just like don't do anything. <laughs> don't you feel like that? Yeah. Like about kind of weirdos. I relate. So I won't sit at home anymore and you won't see my head in the window. Because it got cut off in the basket. Oh, you, you think? It's like a kind of a no, visual I don't pun. Know, maybe. No, he's like headless. That's why you won't see his head in the window. Could be. Linnell also has a lot of songs about people sitting by windows and staring out them. <laughs> and 
decapitations. No, this this is like the quintessential Linnell song. I, I, I truly love it. Um, and I won't be around ever anymore, and I'll be up there on the wall at the store. What do you think about that? Right, not on the shelf. Not on the shelf. So you think there's like a plaque dedicated Employee to Employee of the him? month. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I don't know, dude. I mean, here, here's, here, I'm going to throw this at you. This could be about a guy. If you want to play the let's get literal story game. That game. Yeah, um, <laughs> Parker Brothers. This could be a song about the narrator could be like a supermarket clerk or whatever, like a mm. guy who works in a supermarket, kind of thinking about his own death and his own and he should and no, his sorry. own <laughs> and his own existence. And that's like the metaphor he makes. He's like, oh, I'm just like one of these things. Yeah. Um, it is weird to me, by the way, not to jump too far ahead, but it is interesting to me that they might be giants have another song where they say they're a grocery bag. Juices, muffins, pasta and cheese, milk and biscuits and cocktail sauce. I am a grocery bag. Salsa. What do you make of that? I think, uh, you know, when you're doing your shopping there, you kind of zone out a lot. Yeah, yeah. Probably thinking of some lyrics, probably writing some songs in the old grocery aisle. I do love the bridge because it's to me, it's just like if you want to summarize Linnell's songwriting, like lyric content, it's just like lonely people sitting at home, staring out a window, possibly with no head might be the pun yeah. there, which by the way, I've never realized before. You Me won't, either. You won't see his head because it's not on him anymore. That's I said so, that right now. You're welcome. That's amazing. No, I love that. Um, Aren't you glad we get together, do these things? So, but speaking of that bridge, um, it also makes me think about, and, and this is mentioned on the wiki, but I had planned to talk about this anyway. I just want to, maybe we'll end this episode with um, the, one mm. of my most treasured memories in my life, not just concert memories, but memories in my life, which is that uh, I saw They Might Be Giants uh, play live. It was October 15th, 1998. So I was about like 15 or so, maybe 16. I think, uh, yeah, around there. Not <laughs> too long before my first show. Yeah, yeah. So at this show, uh, it seemed to be going okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't notice anything off, but at one point they start saying that the keyboard is broken or something. And they start saying like, oh, should we continue the show or should we fix it? And it was kind of funny and Linnell's being really silly and joking mm -hmm. around with the audience. Flansburg seemed extremely not having a good time about the keyboard being broken. And mm -hmm. you can hear in this clip, but Flansburg basically said to Linnell, why don't we take like a 10 minute break and fix it and not mm -hmm. worry about this anymore? He almost kind of chastises him a little because Linnell's mm -hmm. being really, really silly, being like, let's have the audience vote. And I always thought that was uh -huh. funny. And Flansburg's like, let's just fix it. Because Flansburg is like a perfectionist, I think. He's a professional, right? Especially when it comes to their live shows. Yeah. He wants everything to go well. Just like me in this podcast. Well, Al is telling Rick that the keyboard is broken. He's telling Rick he's going to play the accordion for the rest of the show. It's hell night. There's not going to really be a way to, unfortunately, to replace it on stage because it's just it's too complicated. I think so, Rick. I think it's too complicated. If you, the word fucked comes if you can do it. But, uh, you know, we'll stop. Ma'am, I'm really confused now. I'm sorry. we got to start this the normal way, because I... Um, it's like reciting the alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. This 
guy says, yeah. Yeah! Some other people are saying, no, we're seeing some no's. You know what? This is not a democracy. We get to do whatever we want up here. Check it out. We're going to take a break. Um, if you want to hang around and watch Rick. So they go off stage. They come back on stage without Flansburg. Uh-oh. <laughs> Killed him. And Linnell tells the audience, well, you'll, you'll hear it. We're on tonight. Uh, but we want to deliver a first-rate performance. Yeah. We have every desire to do that. Unfortunately, this is a wicked fun of ours for you and for me, which is uh, that Mr. Flansburg is really not feeling well and unfortunately cannot stand up at this moment. So he's going to rest comfortably while we finish the set for you. He's okay, he's just sick. Um, and we'll uh, send him your wishes. Um, but he tells the audience that Flansburg is suddenly very sick and that he can't stand up. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's it's it was crazy. We were all sitting there. We were genuinely worried. And by the way, this was one of several shows in a in a week at Bowery Ballroom. Caffeine sickness. <laughs> yeah, just pump some coffee into his veins. Yeah. So Linnell's like, we're going to do the rest of the show without Flansburg. So they do a few songs without him. They. Uh, Linnell and the band. It was, oh, it was with the band. Yeah, so they did a few songs without Flansburg. And then... In my opinion, kind of a premature ending, like basically Linnell announced to everyone that they don't know any more songs without him. And hmm. in my mind, I was like, there's a lot of Linnell songs you could probably pick. But I think Linnell just goes by Flansburg set list. And mm-hmm. he, I think, see, w- with me, it's, you know, the Pixies, like they don't use a set yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand that because I, when I'm on stage, I am so frazzled by every little thing that I can't think of a song to play off the top of my head. I need that list in front of me. So I think that's what was going on there. Hmm. But anyway, he says, we can't play any more songs, but what happened next was kind of magical. Mm-hmm. And I know everyone who was there still remembers this because it has come up a few times. Um, but basically, Linnell came out with his accordion mm-hmm. and he performed dead off the top of his head. Um, so this was, this was 1998. They had not been playing dead for at least seven years. Hmm. There's not a lot of recordings of them doing that song. Uh, maybe they did it to like 92 or so, but they, they kind of quickly dropped it out of their show. I have a clip from the late 80s from before Flood where Linnell does dead because Flansburg has to tune his guitar. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it was a standby, at least for a few shows yeah. where Linnell would perform it by himself. So anyway, he performs dead for us. And at the time it was shocking because... I think a bunch of us, you know, October 98, we had seen many They Might Be Giant shows in the past few years because they play New York City a lot Mm -hmm. and they have not done Dead. And anytime you hear a song you've never heard before, it's exciting. So he did Dead. We all freaked out. And something that was kind of like beautiful is that, you know, because Flansburg has a prominent harmony or he would have had a harmony on Mm -hmm. that song live, like the audience provided the harmony. And Linnell kind of did a little gesture to us like, no, really do it. Like, uh-huh. cause, cause you know, sometimes they ignore the audience, yeah. <laughs> what the audience is doing. Cause we're all a bunch of weirdos. But in that case, mm-hmm. it was very like, we're all in this together. I think you described that perfectly. That's I, I feel like I was there. Yeah. I feel like I experienced the magic and I feel like I'm a better person for having heard that story. Thank you, Dave. And well, one thing that the other thing, like for the bridge, because he was improvising this, mm-hmm. um, he totally forgot all the words for the bridge and just kind of laughed it off. And we like did it for him. And we also did all the parts for him. So I'll play, you know, I think I might end the show with this clip 
And I hope sounds good to me. I hope you all enjoy it. This has been a little bit more of Flood. <laughs> That's a good uh, title for the series. Yeah, Flood bit by bit. Yeah, we're gonna like I said, we're inching our way through Flood. Um, this is a mega album. Honestly, just the first half is so mega that it's taking yeah. for a long. Second time. half will go quicker. Yeah, I feel like we're gonna knock those out pretty fast. If you want to email us, it's don't let start podcast at gmail If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at don't let's pod. Uh, you can also <laughs> like and rate us on iTunes. Yes. So if you're listening right now, <laughs> wherever you Just are, give us five stop stars. wherever you are. If What's you're it like, to you? If you're at a meeting, if you're on the subway, if I'm such a New Yorker, <laughs> if you get getting a pretzel, <laughs> um, look at your phone and uh, please press the five star thing because it really helps us out. Someone actually did that today and it made me Thank extremely you, happy. Or ma'am. We hope to get to 500 by this the end afternoon. Of the year. So tune in for the next part. We're going to talk about tons more songs. Particle Man is going to be discussed. Your Racist Friend, well, that will be fun. <laughs> and a bunch of others. Uh, hopefully a, a, a good handful of others, I think. All right. Well, we got to get out of here. and uh, We got things to do. You know what, Jordan? You're probably just sick of me and all my rattling on. It's true. Thank you very much. You know that we have to deliver. We don't know anymore without Mr. Flans. It's questionable whether we know any without Mr. Flans. But I'm going to play this song by myself. I have to do. You know, I really don't know if I remember this song. I've never been so on the spot. Yeah, we'll help! Stay for a second. I'm just going to try my words. Please don't chant, but just let me concentrate for a sec. I'm gonna try to do this right. I don't know what key this song is in. Okay. I'm gonna screw it up, you're gonna laugh, and that'll be great. The part we fucked up is the best part. I return to the
Accidentally taken off the shelf before the day.